I'm Eamon. I'm Merlin. And we're a gay. And his NB. Episode number seven. We are here. We are all in one piece. Uh, but we are so excited to bring you another great episode of a gay and his NB. We got a lot to talk about this week. I'm Eamon. That's Merlin. And, you know, we've been, <laughs> it's been a, a week we've been trucking through uh, generally. <laughs> I'm glad I can uh, be here. Uh, Almost in, didn't. We almost had a single host uh, podcast this week. We were like, we were very much like, what do we do? Uh, for those, uh, if you've been, uh, like the last two episodes of this podcast, I've had this really terrible cough, by the way, and Merlin has done an amazing job of editing around it so where that none of you have had to hear it. Um, but I, There have been a cu- couple spots that I couldn't fix. Sure. But, I mean, it's like two coughs in the background over... I think almost four hours of programming, and there were a lot more than that, folks. Right, but I've been I've been sick as a dog the last two days, but I'm back and I'm better and I'm actually feeling pretty good. So I'm excited to be back here, and hopefully my voice sounds a little deeper. I feel like this. All right, so <laughs> yeah, you're like no, no, same old, same old voice, still just as gay as last week. Well, <laughs> fitting. So what are what are we talking about this week? All right, so this week we are back in Potomac with our first week of the reunion. Uh, we have got uh, a new episode of Jersey this week, a new episode of Miami, just all over the eastern uh, coast here. Uh, then we jump over to Hollywood. We're bi-coastal. For, <laughs> we are bi-coastal, actually, uh, because we are also headed over to the West Coast for Vanderpump Rules. But first, as always, Drag Race. Drag Race for this week. A very special episode of Drag Race this week, as we had the lip sync Lala Perusa, which I guess is now becoming a yearly tradition for I, the show. Uh, I don't. I don't mind the concept if they can get out of their own way. Yeah, if they could have a um, you know fair competition, that'd be great. Yeah, we'll get to it. Um, but so we come back into the workroom after Aura has been eliminated. Um, Lucy is still pressed about not being in the top this week. Um, I honestly think she has a right to be. Um, she has performed very well, and I think she was one of the better performers in the Daytona Wind. Um, challenge last week you know I I think she has every right to be upset that she hasn't she's been in the top once and that was episode two I believe well no episode three whichever was the one she won right Um, but that's it otherwise she has not been in the top three she's not gotten to get judges critiques she's been safe and I can understand that frustration especially when you're looking at the cast she is literally performing at the top three level she's just not getting put there sure i mean i think i think it was just stiff competition across the board across the board i should say and like obviously also with that daytona win challenge it was to me very hard to judge in general so nothing even like i couldn't make that even strong of a case necessarily um but we go into the workroom the next day and then not even the workroom the next day in that same comp- or, uh, conversation uh, after the elimination, uh, Spice gets up and does her little trot again. Oh, and then the well, next morning when they're coming into the workroom, she trots in again. It's like, girl, when is this, when is this last time you're going to do it going to happen? I, it, I mean, she really, I mean, if she did it during the, one of the lip syncs, I honestly would have, like, 
But it wouldn't have mattered. They would have saved her anyway. Well, this whole episode was orchestrated to get rid of... Ne- we'll we'll get, get to it. We'll get into where I feel like there was kind of some producer uh, shenanigans going on. But uh, Rue uh, announces that they're doing the Lip Sync Lala Perusa tournament that they did last year. Um, which w- last year was sort of a punishment for all the girls who did terrible in Snatch Game. Mm-hmm. But I think, obviously, they're wanting to make this a yearly tradition. I get it. I think... I think if they're going to structure the finale differently, like they did last year as well, with have them doing like these sort of like one woman performances instead of like a whole lip sync SmackDown thing, which I think, I prob- think it's better. It's probably honestly. the right way to go. Like, because with the lip syncs in the finale, like you can get someone who hasn't done as well all season, like blaze through everyone. So, I think this is a better place to put it. Um, and then there's, there's very like little discussion after Rue, like there's like a, maybe like a minute of like mistress talking about who like are the favorites and who are not. And then we just go straight to the runway. Well, what I, what I did like about what, uh, what mistress was saying in her confessional, um, is that everyone was kind of sizing up Spice, Marsha and Lucy as the targets, the people that they wanted to go after when they selected someone to um, lip sync again and we do see that reflected in the Lala Perusa. so she was right in that count um, and that everyone should be afraid of Anitra and Sasha and again she was right in that count um, so I, I thought that was very um, astute um, uh, reading of the situation because we know that they do these confessionals the morning before they come into the workroom so she yeah. like she clocked that um, I also really enjoyed Selena's um, description of the Lala Perusa. Oh, um, I, I hated it. I, I thought it was hilarious. She said, Lala Perusa is like, you remember WWE like a SmackDown? Yeah. It's that with lip sync and drag queens. We battle each other. One goes down, one goes up, one goes down, one goes up. Who's left? Who got the belt? I feel <laughs> like when like people have, I like, I'm sure, like, when you hear people have, like, vague understandings of, like, Marvel or some sort of, like, genre. For me, anytime, like, mainstream people bring up wrestling. like Mainstream. I just love her being, like, you remember WWE as if it still doesn't exist. And, like. You're right. You're right. But to be fair, a lot of people did just stop watching WWE like it was a child's thing. And it's not. It's, like. It's, it's, it's for grown not. adults. It's like, for grown adults, just like my action figures. Yeah, but no, but so they just go straight to the runway because, uh, we, again, we have a 43 minute episode uh, to do all this in. Yeah. Um, they didn't even, like, Rue didn't even introduce Michelle and Ross. They were just like, hey, yeah. guys, this is the challenge for this week. Let's go. And Which, like, honestly, they could have just had them not there because they didn't say a damn thing on the panel. That's true. Like, there wasn't really any point to them. Other than they're probably contracted to be on every episode. Right. So we go and everyone walks out onto the main stage and they do it just like last season where basically uh, they have a member of the pit crew uh, with a tumbler with Bruno this year. It was a Bruno because last year, who was it? It was some. uh, I thought it was Bryce. Wasn't it last year? No, it was. uh, Oh, it was one of the newer ones. He had like a weird name. I can't like like. I can't remember. I've slept since then. They all look the same to me. Um, but they basically, there's a tumbler with everyone's name on it. The person that gets their name pulled gets to pick their opponent. And then the opponent gets to pick the song out of a list of, I think it was seven. Um, so Malaysia's ball gets picked first. 
She is deciding who she wants to choose, and she ends up picking Marsha, which I thought was interesting. It, it seemed like she didn't want to pick Spice out of like, mm-hmm. well, duh, of course I would pick Spice. Yeah. Um, I, I think she just has a certain, and we see it later when Spice comes into the workroom, um, we see her reaction to Spice getting saved, which was excitement, not shock. Sure. But it, it's excitement. So she clearly has an allegiance of some sort to Spice. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's that as well. Uh, and then Marsha picks the song, which is... Uh, Boys Don't Cry by Anita. So I l- literally, I was like, this sounds... Uh, I This is where my brain goes because I feel this, uh, you know, now hearing modern music, I, I just feel like an old person. I don't know about you, but it's just like, Get who, off is, my lawn. who is this person? Um, but the only place I know this song from is from, if anyone follows, uh, there's this uh, YouTuber slash TikToker called The Fitness Marshal who does uh, fitness videos set to pop songs. And that's the only way I know this this song by any means. But it also kind of colored, like I was basically just doing the routine in my head. <laughs> um, but no, they lip sync to Boys Don't Cry. Um, and Marsha, I, I will say Marsha got to show a bit more of her lip sync skills that well, we and she, hadn't seen and before. And it's not even just the lip sync skills. I was impressed by the acrobatics of her dancing. I was impressed by the fact that she was putting her sexy forward. Like that's something like the whole presentation is something we have not seen from her. And I was really, really impressed by everything she did. Yeah, because she they mentioned like she has a ballet background, like they've talked about it, and like getting to showcase some of those skills and incorporate them. Um, and Malaysia tried to put up a good fight, I think, but also this just wasn't her bag. I think in terms of everything, I people talk about all the time. Do you think it's more of an advantage to pick the opponent or pick the song? Hmm. It depends on the spread of songs and opponents, honestly. And, it, and really your personal, like, if you're like, like, I think like if you're Sasha Colby, you'd much rather pick the person because you can really do any song. Like you. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Sasha Colby's going to wipe the floor with whoever she's up against. I mean, yeah, that's at the end of the day. So like put you out, put her out there with literally anybody. She's going to win. So I would rather pick the song. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's all different kind of ways I guess you could look at it. But Marsha wins this one, uh, gets to go to the back and watch the tape. Uh, I, that's the other thing with this like shortened episode. I feel like there was more stuff in the back where they were watching stuff that was probably cut for time and stuff like that. Yeah, and Untucked was all after the elimination, so we didn't get any of that in Untucked. Yeah, that was a little frustrating. So then uh, the next person uh, gets their ball drawn, and it's Lucy, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. And so Lucy then decides, yeah, I'm going to choose Spice. And Duh. Spice says, I'm feeling a little spicy, so I'm going to choose Do You Want to Touch by Joan Jett. Which I was like, okay, this makes sense. Like, l- like Spice was wearing a very, like, it's like this, like, um, like flame racing stripe kind of, like, yeah you know, long pants sort of look. It was actually a really good look, I think. I thought it was very well made. It was, it looked great on her. Like, good for her. Yeah. And so they, so they lip sync to Joan Jett. This one was a little, I mean, I think Lucy definitely pulled out in the end. I think she went for the gags and the gags landed a little bit more than, than what Spice was trying to do. I don't know. I felt like Lucy looked like a, like, sure, Lucy was not, up there giving us the same sort of performance as like 
what Sasha or Anitra or sure. Marsha was giving or Jax were giving us on this stage. Uh, Selena and Lux also gave us, you know, top tier performances. But I thought that she still looked like a seasoned drag queen. Yeah. I felt like Spice looked like first time in drag. It just wasn't there. Was, I think my thing with Spice, I like in challenges and in sort of like more abstract things when it comes to drag, I think they are more successful because of their character. Mm-hmm. But when they actually do a lip sync, I think the problem is they don't have, they haven't learned that stage presence yet. Yeah. The, a lot of times their head is down mm-hmm. and it's like, well, and not it's, as engaged. it's just ironic because her name is spice, but she really does need more seasoning. Sure. That's really what it comes down to. Like, I think she will be an amazing queen in a few years, give her more chance to be out there performing in front of a live audience where she's actually doing this day in, day out instead of just doing TikTok stuff. Now, y'all know my opinion on the on the social media queens. I think they are valid. I think they did what they had to do in a unprecedented time to get out there and make their art. Like, I will never, ever, ever, like dump on somebody for being a social media queen but when it is when you are not pairing that with also going out and doing live performances and not actually in front of audiences doing your job it's you're not ready as pretty as she is as well made as her garments are a look is only a fraction of what you need to compete on Drag Race. I was listening to a clip actually on um, Delta Works podcast, and they had um, Mariah Balenciaga on. And Mariah made this really good distinction of like the, the sort of concept of like drag is for everyone. While that is that part of it is true, like she made the point to say like yes, drag is for everyone. However, the stage is not. Yeah, and that's. You know, there's performers and then there's drag queens and drag queens like drag queens can encompass that larger realm, but not every drag queen is a performer right. at the end of the day. And drag race is for drag queens who are performers. Sure. I think you need to have, as I mean, if you want to win for sure, I think you, I think they're willing to take on anyone that encompasses the drag queen mantra. But I think in order to win and be successful okay. in the show, yes, you do. Let, let me qualify that. I think you should be both a drag queen and a performer yes. before you go on Drag Race. Because Drag Race, as many have said, is the Olympics of drag. It should be where you go as a fully formed person who needs a little polishing and coaching by professionals. As opposed to someone who is going on straight out the womb. Yeah. You know. No, I agree completely. Um, so Lucy wins this lip sync, uh, gets to go to the back. Uh, Spice is still uh, possibly up for elimination. Then they pull the next ball, and it's Lux mm-hmm. uh, who uh, decides to go uh, and challenge Selena to a lip sync. And Selena, uh, I think Lux's mentality was that maybe Selena would pick something a little more up-tempo, maybe. Mm-hmm. And uh, instead, Selena decides to go with It's All Coming Back to Me Now by Celine Dion. Celine Dion. Which she says in her confessional, she picked intentionally because she's done this number a lot in her home bars before. 
mm-hmm. and that it's a real um and because it's not exactly what she knew Lux was expecting her to pick. Sure. I will I will say this was a really great lip sync and I really Yeah. I love this is also a song that's been used a lot on Drag Race rightfully so because it's an iconic obviously uh very iconic song. Um but I love that like they showcase the two ways you can go with the song. You can either go very serious, which I think a lot of people have done in the past mm-hmm. and b- make it much more of the ba- like focus on the ballad element and all that stuff or you can go comical. Right. And Selena decided to go that comical route, which I thought was really smart. Well, and I love that she showcased the fact that Celine Dion is like at that perfect intersection between serious artist and campy, yeah. campy bitch. Mm-hmm. Like, so this was the perfect song to do that with. Like, it wouldn't, this is not the kind of performance you would do to, um, Who's the the one that Rue does? Uh, Diana Ross. No, of course not. That's been tried in the past. You don't do funny to Diana Ross because that's not who you're like. You're performing for RuPaul. Yeah. So someone who she holds in high esteem, you don't do camp to. It's a very serious performance. But this, Celine fits in both of those categories. I think it was beautifully done by um, Selena. Um, yeah, and deserved and win. I think. I think so too. I think Lux did really well as well. I think exactly. I, I think in the contrast with like what we were saying with Spice, like even though Lux is about the same age as Spice, Lux definitely has that stage presence. I think like exactly. She there were many times where I was definitely focused heavily on her, but I think Selena, the moments in which the comedic moments she engaged in were so impactful that it I obviously gave her the win, which I think was very well deserved and a bit of an upset. I thought. I loved uh, Lux uh, going to the back of the stage afterwards and going, honestly, I'm a little very gagged. <laughs> I love that line, too. That was great. I love Lux is Lux is always entertaining to me. Um, and so then we get down to four queens left, and Mistress gets her ball picked. And Mistress is then in a really tough predicament because she literally has to pick between Sasha Anitra and Jax, which all is all three are amazing lip syncers. Literally, the three you would be most scared of yeah. to like go up against. Uh, she ends up picking Jax. I think that was the right move. I think it was the right move, especially considering um, this is where we start getting into the um, producer heavy handed bullshit. Um, because I, I'm sorry. Uh, well, the song is Tell It to My Heart by Taylor Dane. Love the song. Um, Mistress did not win this lip sync. I don't I, know if I agree with you. On I that. absolute bullshit. I, this entire episode, I feel, was orchestrated to get rid of Jax. I think that could be true. I think I I could see a I I thought it made sense for Mistress to win. I think she Mistress paced the song really well. I thought she has a really great lip sync ability uh, in terms of. Energy and knowing when to capitalize on that energy. I love her, like, I love the way she uses her body as a big queen and to, like, sort of, like, emphasize certain things. I think Jax did really great in this lip sync as well. Like, I'm always mesmerized every time Jax does. Like, the, the like, front dives where she, like, turns right at the last second. Oh, yeah. As she's, like, oh, you know, it's amazing. I think the... Well, and the reason she's able to do that is she literally is a gymnast. Like, she... Uh, in the Meet the Queens, um, like she did cheerleading and all of that stuff and gymnastics and that sort of stuff right. before she got into drag. So, like, 
clearly she like she has professional level training in that sort of movement. Yeah. And it shows. And I think it also, I mean, they were kind of discussing it, but it was like the topic also then comes up of like, and we've seen it before in Drag Race too, where it's like, if you lip sync enough times at a certain point, you start to quote unquote run out of tricks and you have to sort of, and I don't think, I never like got bored at all by Jax by any means, but I do, I could see a realm in which it was an issue where she possibly could have run out of some of her tricks that she had to reuse. I think maybe, but when you have a Lollapalooza like this, like we inevitably had, that's going to happen. Mistress did her titty pop again, which she did last week during the Daytona Winds Challenge. She did it um, during the lip sync here. Yeah. She did it like we've seen it several times. And I have said before that I I don't like it when people go after someone for having a staple or having a like. Signature. Anitra did her duck walk again during the next lip sync, yeah. and she did it in every lip sync she was in tonight. Yeah, and Rue loves that. I mean, but if we're going to critique people for repeating things, we have to critique everyone for repeating things. And Jax hasn't even gotten to the point where she's repeating stuff yet. She wasn't allowed to get to that point. She has a vast repertoire. And what I was really impressed with with her on this lip sync was the fact that she, um, she was directly quoting the Detox Alyssa sure. lip sync from All Stars 2. And so, and she does the same thing later. There's another song that she's quoting, um, not from Drag Race, but she quotes, you know, time specific, like era specific dancing. Like she is so smart in her choices. Yeah. And, And that's why I'm so frustrated at this episode. I think there, I think the real rigging came later, but I do think Mistress, I, I, could could have seen it going either way, but I think I didn't think it was wrong necessarily to give the win to Mistress here. But so Mistress is safe. Jax is still uh, up on the chopping block. But then it's, the other thing is, as soon as Mistress picked Jax, we knew, oh shit, we're getting the, the and the Sasha queens in the back lipstick. had that same realization. And it's it's nice to see the other queens fangirl, yeah, over Sasha because it just like underlines that. Um, I think in the Meet the Queens, we got um, Sasha saying, I am your favorite drag queen's favorite drag queen. Yeah. And bitch is right. Like, these queens fangirl over her so hard, and it's beautiful to see them celebrate each other right. in a way that's not, like, super kumbaya but it's still, like... But rightfully so. And both of them looked phenomenal. For oh, yeah. <laughs> like, two of my favorite looks of the night. But so they lip sync to uh, I'm in Love with a Monster by Fifth Harmony. Mm-hmm. And this was like, it was literally everything we could have expected from a lip sync between these two. It was all, you know, big maneuvers, like Sasha's hair whipping with her ponytail was like next level. Uh, Anitra has such, Anitra is re- a really great lip syncer too in terms of just like captivating in, in these sort of in-between moments. Mm-hmm. Um, but Sasha has such a great sex appeal about her. Um, and that outfit, good God. Like, yeah. it's something out of Mortal Kombat. Oh, yes, uh, yes, yes. It was, so, like, it was dripping sex. It was so good. Every time um, Anitra death drops, it's like, like, she has this, like, I, there's a way to, like, time it and sort of make it such an impactful moment that I don't even know how she does like, yeah. something like that. Uh, and the way that Sasha, like, was like, like, you know, 
falling and then, but also then like the twerking to that sort of last part of the song which was, came, <laughs> it was, was so good was really perfectly well done my thing with this lip sync this should have been a double save and i think it would have been if they hadn't had the twist already planned and they that, knew well, they were going to use the gagatrandra they should have they should have abandoned the twist the twist was but not the, needed the twist was everything because they needed the twist to get rid of jacks I think they could have done it in many other ways. I think that they, this is my opinion. They said whoever Jax is going against in the first round is going to win, period, end of story. Now, did Mistress put up a good fight? Yes, I do not think she won that lip sync. That's just me. That's a lot of people online. I'm just saying. That's my opinion. Exactly. Um, I think, you know, in the twist, like, it was, I think Anitra was told by producers she had to choose Jax. That's just me. See, I think it was less about getting rid of Jax and more about keeping Spice at the end of the day. I, I think, don't think that they would have rigged it nearly as hard to get rid of Anitra. Because I don't know. Like, I think that they got rid of Jax because they knew that anytime they put somebody against her in the bottom, she was going to still win and stay. So they had to get rid of her because they didn't like her in the challenges. They didn't want her to stay. Well, and also but they wanted to get rid of her, and they knew that in a fair lip sync, that was never going to happen. Well, also last season, the fact that Jasmine Kennedy went home on the lip same like, bullshit. The, why is like the one of the better lip syncers always going home on this challenge? Like it doesn't because make because this me. challenge is built to get rid of the lip sync assassin that they don't want to keep. Well, that's a, my that's my thing. You would think it would be to get rid of the person who's the worst at lip syncing, which it like. If you know Sugar and Spice's capabilities going into the show, if you're the producers, why would you, like, do a lip sync Lollapalooza in order to, uh, like, that's my thing at the end of the day. But, but they know that all of these Twitter gays are going to come in and, like, boycott the show if yeah. Spice is no longer on the show. I mean, we were the only ones that were against what happened at the end of the day, so, I, at least from what I saw on Twitter. But There it, were a lot of people who were mad that, like, from what I saw, there were a lot of people who said, no, this is BS. Like, I'm looking sideways at Anitra. Like, I am justice for Jax. Like, this is BS. Well, okay. Let's get on to it. Let's move on. So, Sasha wins. Uh, Anitra's still up for elimination. Rightfully then, so. Then we get to Malaysia uh, getting to pick again. And this time, she absolutely decides to pick Spice. Because um, who would when you have the choice of Lux, Jax, or Anitra? Yeah, it's like, come on. Uh, so she picks Spice, and then Spice decides to pick what? What song did she pick? I can't. Uh, Don't go yet by Camila. It's the name I can't pronounce, and neither could uh, Bianca Del Rio on the uh, pit stop. So I feel like I'm in good company. No, yeah, Camila Cabello or whatever her name is. Like this, I never heard this song before in my life. So I honestly wasn't surprised at the fact that so. Spice was like, I'm picking this song because I know for a fact that Malaysia doesn't know the words to it. Which, she was right. She was right, but I didn't think Malaysia's lip sync was that bad. Like, I didn't think... It was the verses. I mean, the the um, the chorus was literally just don't go yet over and over sure, again. Sure, but so. she faked it enough to where it seemed like yeah. I, I could have bought it. And then halfway through, Spice realizes... Oh shit! I don't know the words to this either, <laughs> which was great. Yeah, and then so of course Malaysia obviously wins this lip sync, obviously. rightfully so, and uh, moves to the back. Then they decide, okay, we're doing a three way lip sync now because there's three left. They did this last time. I just feel like again, if you would have done a double save, it would have been fine. But whatever. Um, and then so we have Anitra, Lux, and Jax, and they're lip syncing to the right stuff by Vanessa Williams. 
Um, this this one was a little harder to call. It was very good. Um, Anitra just for like five seconds in immediately doing like the big like drop down on her ass, like full like leg split out moment oh, yeah. was like insane. I probably would have given this to either. I don't know if I would have given this to Lux. I would have given it to maybe Anitra or maybe Jax. Yeah. I, I, again, like I was saying earlier, she was giving like, she was giving like period references in the dance moves. It was very like nineties, yeah. late eighties. Um, oh, this is also to um, The Right Stuff by Vanessa Williams. Yeah, I did say that. Oh, you did? I did. Uh, well, that just shows you how much I actually listen. No, thank you. Um, <laughs> this will be cut out of the podcast. <laughs> um, but no, so I, I think they did all a really good job solidly across the board. I think, you know, Lux, to me, didn't particularly stand out amongst the three, which is why I thought her getting picked was a little odd. Um, I thought I... I more than anyone would probably go with Anitra. Like she did that Anitra. I talked about the, the big jumping, like sort of legs out move, but then she also did like a jump split that where she like crisscrossed in midair before the split. Like mm-hmm. it was impressive shit. And like, I, I think, I don't know. I think I would have given this one to Anitra maybe. And then we, but we wouldn't have gotten what we had. At the last end. week we all earned not last week, last year when we did the Lala Perusa on the three way, they saved two. And only kept one to the bottom. Did they? Uh, I think so. No, that's no, what no, everybody no, no. was expecting them to do no, this it, time. They wasn't. They they only saved because it was Georges, Angeria, and Lady Camden, and they saved Georges, and then they sent the other two to the next round. But it was in the first round of competition. Oh right, because it was it was like eleven queens, yeah. I think. No, well, no, it was like uh, seven, maybe. I no, it's oh right, because it was a smaller. It was forever anyway, ago. Yeah. Yeah. But um, so Lux wins. Lux goes to the back. And now we're down to three again. We're down to Anitra, Jackson, Spice. And it's like, well, bye. Sp- I, like, I think we both literally said at that moment, like, can we just send Spice home like now and save them the trouble? But no, they had to go through an extra bit of trouble because there had to be a twist. And the twist was that someone's name gets drawn from the Tumblr. And the person whose name gets drawn gets to save one of the other two. And then lip sync against the one who remains. So Anitra gets picked. And obviously, by any logical standard, she saved Jax, right? Apparently not. Apparently not. She saved Spice for some reason. This is where I talk about her, its her, producer shenanigans. Her, her reasoning is um, that wouldn't be fair because clearly I would murder her on the da- on the in the lip sync. Yeah, that that's the point. Like this like one- it's just frustrating because the whole point of drag race, like say what you will about all-stars, but regular drag race is supposed to be about earning your way to the next episode. And in the challenge of Lala Perusa, Spice did not do that. She should have gone home. Well, I just don't get the dialogue from people of being like, "Well, oh, that was much so much of a badass move by Anitra to like Lip sync against a harder competitor. It's like, why? They're all in the same competition at the end of the day. Like, if the if it's not that kind of competition to me. It just seems completely odd. And to me, Anitra didn't even believe it when she said it. Well, which it is why I think it was a. It also contradicts what she said earlier in the episode because the second that it came down to her and Sasha, she said Sasha was the person that I didn't want to lip sync against. If Anitra's 
thought process going into this was I want to lip sync against the best. Wouldn't Sasha be the person she wants to lip sync well, against? That's what I'm saying. It's like there was a producer in her. Rigor Morris. They were, it was literally like, you're going to do that. Like, this is what we're going to do. It's like. I, I feel like they edited out like the sniper like laser on her forehead when she was saying it was. I know. <laughs> and it was like Spice's reaction to wasn't even just like crying incredulousness. It was just like. Oh my God, thank you. She like, had already resigned herself to go home. So she was like. It was just so weird to me that it was just like you had two of the worst lip syncs this episode and yeah, you're still here. It's fun. Whatever. I think she'll probably go home soon enough, in my opinion. Um, but who knows with this show? Um, but then we get down to Anitra and Jax and they lip sync to Finally uh, by CeCe Pettison. So good. Really good lip sync. And this is a great song as well, where it's like, you know, you can do a lot with it. And I'll, and Anitra, I think, did a good job of mixing comedy and humor with sort of the more move, moves, which I think maybe was a smarter... I think Jax did a little bit of that too, but yeah. it, she's more movement-based. Yeah. And and it was... I thought this one could have gone either way. Um, they ended up uh, picking Anitra to move on. I think while... I love Jax, and I think ja- and we both think Jax has been kind of like robbed in the edit, and like you know, is it's gotten a little too hard of critique. You know, there's only so much you can go with her if the judges aren't gonna, you know, well, see anything. And what frustrated me was literally in the in the um, now sashay away speech, Rue goes. Jax, we loved you from the jump. Bullshit, bitch. <laughs> you have been shitting on her since she walked through the workroom door on day one. Like, what are you doing? I think like, it was more I think it was more in reference to the jump rope thing, but yes, I understand no, what you're saying. I get it, but like don't lie to her face. Sure. Like she knows what it is. She knows what the game is. And like it it's so Like, I just, I'm so mad. Like, I was fuming for hours after this episode last week. Yeah. It's the, again, it's the, if the, to me, it was clear producer shenanigans with the whole, at least the Anitra bit of the whole twist and stuff like that. I don't think that was needed by any means. It's like, if, uh, yes. Yeah. It's frustrating. Hashtag justice for Jax. Um, on Untucked, there was one little bit that I wanted to mention because uh, I think that for mo- for the most part it was pretty yeah. not necessarily remarkable. But there was one quote from Sasha that was absolutely phenomenal, and she said, um, "I know one thing: if you didn't know me, now you know me, honey. She ain't never gonna not." Yeah, so and I just I was screaming. It was so good. It was. Uh, Ugh, so good. Credit to Sasha Colby. This has been her. I I don't personally. I don't see a realm in which Sasha doesn't win this season. Like it would I be mean, crazy to me. I can see it getting snatched away right at the end, but someone's really gonna have to. But like, somebody's gonna have to, like, go to the mat fighting for this. Yeah, but uh, you know, other than the sort of shenanigans of it all, I do think this was a good episode, at least from the lips, lips, lip syncs alone. Easy for oh, me yeah. To the Anitra Sasha lip sync will go down in Drag Race history as, I'd say, at least one of the top three lip syncs of all time. Yeah, I would say that. Like, I think there might be a couple others that might edge it out, but it's going to be up there. Yeah. Well, that was Drag Race for this week. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and when we come back, 
It's all things Real Housewives. Don't go anywhere. Well, hello, friends. I'm your pal in the mainstream media. And, and I'm the Riz. And, and you know, Riz, it takes years of strenuous, dedicated training before you're worthy to step inside a professional wrestling ring. But it takes even more time to develop complex, highly astute opinions about professional wrestling. Am I right? That is correct. Yes. And you know where we can find that? Yes. On the wrestling name. That's right. Sidekick Media Services. We are your sidekick in business for social media, video production, and more. Find out more at SidekickMediaServices.com. Welcome back to A Gay and His NB. Let's get into everything Bravo, starting with Housewives of Potomac. Reunion Part 1, the long-awaited start of this reunion. Uh, this I would say this was a really good first part of the reunion, mainly because everything that we wanted in terms of who got what coming to them, mm-hmm. I think, ended up getting that way. I'll, I'll say right off the bat, Candace was the MVP of this reunion. Oh, clearly. By far. Karen is usually the better one at the reunions, and Karen was kind of laid back and kind of let them do their thing. She didn't need to. Sharice is not out there yet, so she doesn't yeah. have anyone to go up against. Yeah, and I think it was smart on her part. Like... Save her energy. Candace like was like dominating in this first part, but uh, before we even get to the reunion, there was that intro piece that they added <laughs> where they Shady. basically were playing, and it was perfect because they had all this season they've been doing these like interstitial shots of like flowers blooming and birds chirping, like mm-hmm. these like weird like sort of like dramatic shots, and they just had them like all compiled together with the stuff from the reasonably shady podcast over top of it, like of Robin talking about Juan and what this girl with the hotel receipt and all that stuff. They're basically like, yeah, you're not getting past this. And then it was like two weeks before, like, so basically setting the stage of like, guys, stuff's already happened since this has been filmed, but don't worry. Yeah. We know what's happening. Uh, and then, so they are getting ready in their dressing rooms. Uh, for the, I love that Andy went up to Karen at one point and was saying like, are you worried about, uh, Sharice being here at all? And she's, it's like, oh no, I think Sharice should be here. I mean, you guys put her on camera enough times for God's sake. It's like, like shading Andy (laughs) for having Sharice around. Perfectly done. Oh, and then also Andy at one point goes into the green eyed bandits, uh, uh, dressing room and asks about Juan being there and Robin's like no he has work and Andy literally going uh I thought so like well and also the fact that Robin and Giselle are sharing a dressing room this year sure which considering everything that uh Giselle like I just think this is more doubling down on Giselle's part I didn't even think about it that way, but yeah, that does make a lot of sense for Giselle's. Because, I mean, we remember that one season where she brought the bodyguard because she thought that uh, Chris Samuels was going to do something to her, which, like... Like, She she is... I just think that's more colorist BS, but that's just me. Yeah. Um, So they finally get to uh, the couches, and they're doing the whole going around the table uh sort of thing given everybody their intros uh robin gets congratulated for her wedding 
uh, and being a married woman and Robin's sort of like talking about the feeling of it and they're just cutting to Karen yawning like over exaggerated <laughs> yawning so great. it was so good passive aggressive and then Andy's like well Karen uh, you never thought this would happen right you know so what do you feel and she's like you know yeah I never thought this would happen but I gotta say I am very happy for them and, and very excited for their future and Robin goes doubt it and Karen goes eh <laughs> just perfect dynamic they also critique the seating of this reunion, which I agree with them makes no fucking sense. And they, like Andy tried to explain it of like, well, everyone has a lot of personal issues within this group. So it made it hard to seat. So we had to like, not really like the seating is like, to me, it's like Karen, Candace and Wendy on one couch and then Giselle, Robin, Ashley and Mia on the other couch. Like, it's not yeah, that because hard. Because none of them had problems with each other and none of... Ashley um, and Mia maybe had a little issue, but it was very light and you could have put someone in between them instead of putting Karen and Robin on the same couch for some reason. Yeah, it, it made no sense. It didn't... Yeah, it, it was very confusing. But then... So we start uh, getting to Ashley's story for the season and about how she bought the new house um, and all the stuff that's happening after the divorce. Um, she says Michael has a key to the house, mm. um, to, basically for her kids and stuff like that and that dynamic. I don't... I'm with all the other women who were... Even Giselle, who were just like, that's not right. Like, in, a, in a normal divorce situation where there's an amicable split and like all of that stuff... Maybe, yeah. like, depending on the dynamic. But this man, really? We're talking about Michael Darby. We're yeah. talking about Michael motherfucking Darby. Yeah. Absolutely I not. I, the, and the idea that she was saying, like, he can see the kids whenever they want. He just has to give, like, an hour notice. It's like, that's not enough, to, in my opinion. Well, he has to give an hour notice, and also she has to say okay. Yeah. He but, can't just come over. With an hour notice, and she doesn't get a say in it. Well, because they're talking about the dynamics, too, with her and Luke from Summer House, who they're not together anymore, but that how it was trouble. You know, they had issues in terms of that, and that there was a time where Michael was supposed to have the kids, and, and he brought them a day early, and Luke had to go out the back door because Luke can't be around the kids, which I think it's understandable. Like, I think that's a fair... Like, I don't think it's fair necessarily to introduce another man when your kids are that young. You know, yeah, especially and, if it's just like a fun, flirty type thing. Yeah, and if you're not going to be like pertinently serious about it, I mean, she did say that she was starting to fall in love with Luke, which I love. She says that, and at one point, Mia just goes, "Oh no!" Like as if it's like me fall in love. Excuse me, I'm like she. She was me, seeing him for like three and a half seconds. Sure, but also like for Mia to be that like have that reaction, it's like speaks a lot to her and G's relationship. I feel like and how Oof. she views relationships, but. Um, so, oh, oh, and they did, we didn't talk about in the beginning part that, uh, they also found out that Giselle is dating a guy from Winterhouse, mm -hmm. Jason, which he's pretty cute. I mean, and it, they do seem like, like, on, he just is very young. Yeah. Well, you know, she is climbing up into 50. I think she's in her early 50s, but is I, she really, yeah, but I mean, she looks good for her age. And this sounds weird to say, but it's like... Yeah, but I feel like he's closer in age to her daughters than he is to her. Yeah. And that, that, to me, is a problem. We don't watch um, Summer Winter House, FYI. So also when they were bringing up all this stuff, it was just like going right over our heads, by the way. Because it's like, I don't know yeah. the dynamics um, of any of these people. 
Sorry, you were going to say something? I was going to say that um, because they pretty much go straight into a commercial break at this point. Um, And we hear a hot mic moment between Ashley and Giselle Mm. talking about how she felt like Luke was being a little manipulative. And that's really why she um, split things off from Luke. It wasn't about um, the dynamic with Well, she was saying he wanted... wanted she wanted him to come to some, I forgot where it was, but it was, I'm assuming some part of Potomac or whatever. And it was like, I, yeah, it was a weird, confusing, like little, and it's, it's hard to even call it a hot mic moment too, when you're on the set and you're all in still in front of the like, set. And at like, this point, you, know you should know that there's going to be a little bit like that is like, they give a little bit before and after like, Andy does the intro and exit to commercial. Like basically, when you step through the front doors, you know you're gonna everything that you say is gonna be. Possibly but you used. should also assume that from the moment you get the mic put on you to the moment it gets taken off every day, and yet we still have hot mic moments. That's fair. So, but also I want to make a point that um, they also go into um, the details of the prenup and what Ashley gets, which is spoiler alert, pretty much nothing. Yeah, like that is so sad, especially because. Especially because the the thought of most watchers was that she was hanging on to Michael to wait out the prenup so that she could get a separation agreement yeah. that was good for her. And that's not what ended up happening. It's like, girl, you blew this chance. Well, and that's the more frustrating thing. It's just like you've been rooting at, like... You inflicted the public, or you inflicted Michael Darby on the public for this long, and you could have just left him and got the same amount. Well, and also, like, she would go on reunions every year defending him, like, blindly to the point that it made her look stupid at the end of the day. And it's like, you did it for just out of love for him and not for, like, any, like, personal end result. Right. Like, Like, it would have made sense if she was, if the whole goal was waiting out the prenup and getting to a point where she could be financially stable and take half his shit because she deserves it at this point for putting up with him. But, and and it seems like it was also just complete ignorance on her part of like, she doesn't know how much money he has right now. Like she didn't realize that apparently all the money that he put into projects during the marriage, if that came from him originally, that's still his money, which I think is crazy. Yeah. That doesn't make sense. Yeah. Everyone was like that. Like I loved Karen trying to be like, almost like financial advisor in that moment being like, you need to get a lawyer and you need to look into this because like there has to be some money that he made during the point of the marriage that you can get access to. Like, right. It depends on, it depends on where they live. Like, is there, was their address actually in Potomac or were they like in Maryland at all? Or were they in Virginia? Cause all that geography is right there next to each other. Um, you know, so it really depends on where they're getting this divorce and how that law applies to their situation. But it's well, it's she's, frustrating because she, she's not, and the, and she's also not getting alimony, which like is like nothing. She's getting pretty much nothing. She's getting, she's got that house, and that's it. She's got the house and a guarantee, quote unquote, 
that if she falls on hard times, he will take care of her. He said, she said that there's like safety nets in place or something like that, which I But don't... like you said that you like you literally said at some point that you were going to get half his shit after five years anyway. And that turned out to not be true. So I don't trust you on the safety net bit either. Yeah, it seemed vague enough to where it's like you really need to outline what's actually in this thing because I don't think you're getting anything. out of I it. don't think she knows. I think she was assured by Michael and which she's is never really, actually looked at the contract. Which is really sad because this definitely was a case of like she was in her early 20s. He's like how old? Like, you know, older than fucking Beelzebub at this point. Um, yeah, him and the Crypt Keeper about the same age. Yeah, like the the dynamic was weird from the start. But to know that it wasn't like knowledgeable on her part of what the dynamic was and that she actually loved this guy it almost makes it worse at the end of the day. yeah. It's just, it's real gross. And then she also, I found it weird. She like made the point to clarify. Like, I know I had that moment on the show where I was talking about how we were fighting in front of the kids and he was screaming or whatever. And that Dean was yelling stop at the end of it, but he's actually a really good dad. It's like, it felt like she was saying that as if like Darby, Michael Darby had like a gun to her head of like, that's what you it, need to say this. Well, that's what it's felt like for the last five years. Yeah. And it's just like, Finding out that she was actually doing this out of the quote-unquote goodness of her heart. It's like, what? No. Girl. Ridiculous. But then we get to a very interesting fan question, which I thought started a really great conversation on this reunion, which was that a fan asked about, brought up the fact that a couple reunions ago, uh, Ashley famously said that Candace was the least accomplished person on this cast mm-hmm. and now uh, Candace has a blossoming music career and Ashley can barely even afford the home that Michael is paying for her to have. Uh, in fact, she can't afford it because he pays half the rent. Yeah. And she could not afford it on her own. And then like is th- the question was essentially, are you now the most, the least accomplished person? And it's like, you know, Ashley kind of didn't have an answer for it. She like, Somewhat apologized to Candace about it, but it was very much like a, like she was trying to figure out some explanation. And Candace took this moment, and I think she earned this, like taking this moment to sort of just be like, I was dragged through the mud for seasons about my mother paying partially for my house. And it was never looked at in a positive way in terms of a, you know, the idea of generational wealth, particularly generational wealth in the black community and like how important that is. And I was basically shit on it uh, for it, particularly by Ashley in that famous butter knife fight. Yep. Um, Which I still defend uh, Candace. It was just happened to be in her hand while she was ranting. She was not brandishing the the knife. What was she going to do? Stab her with a butter knife? It ain't going to break skin. That's fair. But, and then they kind of get it, like, Ashley being like, oh, well, I stand by my statement. You should be, uh, you know, independent as a, you know, as a person financially. And Candace just being like, which you are not right now. Like, right. like I, Ashley had no argument, basically, in this whole thing. And, like, Can- and I just, I don't know how Ashley is doing this, like, right now. Because my anxiety would put me in a place where I'm like, okay, I'm going to get a place that I can afford by myself. And then I'm going to make Michael pay for as much of it as he will pay for. Well, that's and the then thing. I'm going to put what I would be paying in rent in a savings account. I'm and not, I'm going to start stocking away my nest egg. I'm not great with money by any stretch of the imagination. Well, and we'll talk about it, another person who has that issue later, but like, I'm not great with money by any stretch of the imagination, but I know that if I need somebody else to afford my mortgage, I can't afford that mortgage. Right. Like that's a basic concept of just like 
that's a baseline principle when it comes to this kind of stuff. So I don't understand what her mentality is with that. Like she's in a whole other world. But speaking in a whole other world, then we get to Mia <laughs> and Mia's segment. Um, we, they go into sort of her health stuff first and about, you know, um, sort of the fact that she's cancer free, that it's not cancer and that uh, it, they thought it was sarcoidosis, but it wasn't. And it was like some kind of a rash. I don't. Well, but and then she also says that she might also have um, uh, swollen lymph, lymph nodes and also like um, stuff on her uterus as well to where she may have to have something similar to what Giselle mm-hmm. uh, it went through with her hysterectomy. Um, so it just seems like a lot. Like I feel that one, it's more harder to like dog on her for because i i believe there's probably something wrong Yeah, look i'm not gonna dog on her for being scared and for going through the medical things that she's going through what i will dog on her for is actively presenting something in a way on social media that uh, that implied that she had cancer yeah and then taking it back how she said it was wrong but Giselle was right in that moment. Sure. I th- but also, so they also bring up the, like, someone... Mark that down on your calendars because it probably won't ever happen again. Yeah. Uh, someone had asked about, like, uh, that was it maybe a bad response to, like, fillers, which I think was kind of a shady question, but was... But it's the same reason that Michelle Visage got her implants out. Yeah, and Mia had said, like, that was something that was we were considering, that it would was something that, like, my body was rejecting. And that's what the of... sarcoidosis is, is it was rejecting the the foreign objects, basically. Right. And so Wendy uh, gets brought up into this conversation because then they talk about the hot mic moment. And I will say this. I thought Wendy handled this perfectly. Like... And he's like, you have to cop to the fact that you, you, the, with the whole hot mic of you saying that you believe that Mia was lying. And she's she basically like, said, no, the fuck I don't. Well, well, she got, she was like, no, I 100% cop to it. Like, in the sense that, like, I even shared, like, a meme and stuff like that. But I don't think that she was being hypocritical. And I think that she didn't cop to being hypocritical. Which I agree. Yeah, she, no, and she didn't because I think she's right in the sense of, because when Mia gets into this thing of, like, oh, why are you going to say this behind my back and not say this to my face? It's like... That's called being nice. You wanted me to say to your face that you were... I thought you were lying about having cancer? Like... You see, in polite society, sometimes when you have a negative opinion about something, you keep that shit to yourself. Yeah. And you just don't say it to the other person. And you let them be what they are and you keep it to yourself. And yeah, she said it off camera to a producer but the point wasn't her issue wasn't whether or not that robin and giselle thought that she was lying about having cancer the issue that she had was the approach that robin and giselle had with approaching her about it at karen's party like that was the issue it wasn't whether or not she believed she had cancer um and then they sort of get into sort of their dynamic of like, and Wendy is like, it just didn't seem like it made sense in terms of like it being a skin issue, but then also like the, you going to an oncologist and stuff like that. And then uh, Mia tries to get a jab in about like, oh, well, I wish I could have brought you all into my, into the operating room and have my uh, attention seeking husband film me while trying to take a shot at Eddie for, for, putting like filming when Wendy was getting her stuff for her um, kidney stones and stuff like that done. And when he's like, yes, he was filming me uh, and and he was taking care of me at that time. Maybe your next husband will do that for you. And we both went, Oh, 
<laughs> that was a good line. And I, and even Andy was like, oh my God. Like that was a good clap back. Like, well, and I like people have been doing that for ages, filming their, you know, loved ones coming out of anesthesia. Cause it's funny. It's a moment to remember. Sure. And I'm sure that that would not have gone on social media without Wendy's approval. Like Eddie wasn't the one that posted that. Also, I'm sure the producers of the show were also probably like, Hey, we can't get cameras in here. So pull out Eddie, if you could pull out your iPhone, like I'm sure like, it's like I thought it was a weird jab by Mia to try to And like, also it was a sweet moment. Like get over it. Just don't like don't come after other people's marriages because you and G have a transactional one. Yeah. So then we get into the business stuff of on side of Mia because in the time since the filming, G's brother apparently stole all their money or something, and there was that big sort of stuff. And then we get into Mia's explanation about what happened. It and sounded like Greek. I, it could have been Russian. It could have been any foreign language that I do not know. Uh, and I would have, like, understood just as much of it as I did when she tried to explain it. So, because she's the CEO of what, however many franchises of the joint chiropractic. Turns and, out she's not. Even on the stuff that she put on social media, it said owner, not CEO. But here's the thing. So, I literally had to take bullet, like, bullet points of this to, like, have any understanding of what she was saying. So she was saying that G's brother is also part owner and that her, him and G are on the bank account and that either person can take the other person off of the bank account without their consent, to which everyone on the couch was like, that's not true. Like, that's, that doesn't make any sense. Literally not how that works. Um, and that they had a, so they, then they had a board meeting where they voted in a third member. Um, and that, they, but the thing is that those are those three are quote unquote. We find out later, managing members, which are different than board members, and G is still one of them. But the other two managing members voted G off of day to day operations. Mia's CEO, and she's on the board, and she owns more than forty percent of the company, but still only is a is one vote. Of the eight-member board. Right. Like, all the numbers kept changing. At one point, because she kept saying, she was saying three originally, and then when she brought out the eight members, everyone was like, what? I thought it was three. Like, what are you talking? Like, like I need a whiteboard. I need Hank Green. Can you, like, explain <laughs> this for us? Because you seem to be able to explain everything else in the world. I need you to come on our podcast and explain this to me in, like, layman's terms, because I don't get and it. And everyone is just cracking. Like, Candace is, like, doing the whole, oh, my God, I can't laugh in this corset thing. And, like... <laughs> She said, like, Mia, it's like, yes, there's eight members. And just, I was like, oh, my God, I thought she was going to say seven. And they just start laughing again. <laughs> and Mia just gets pissed. And it's just like, if you're all going to laugh, I'm not going to talk about it, okay? Next question. Okay, bye. This is serious. This is a really serious matter. And it's like, oh, my God. Like, if you're going to be like that, you can just leave. Oh, well, but then, like, this is where messy Giselle I, I kind of love. Because Giselle just gets right to the point. It's just like, you know, it didn't have anything, like, Giselle asked, like, what was the sort of the reasoning behind them sort of trying to kick you guys out of the company? And Giselle then goes, because it kind of looked from the outside a little bit like embezzlement. And everyone's like, uh. <laughs> and just, like that you were taking money to pay for the furnishings of the house and et cetera. And it was like, 
I love the way that Giselle can frame something in a way, but it just is just a pure dig at somebody and just to like like not even a dig. A dig implies that there's a shovel. This had like a pick. This was like a direct to the heart dagger. Yeah. And that basically and Mia's defense of like, if I did that, why would I come on this show? Is like not a defense anymore on Housewives. No. Nope. I.e. Jen Shaw. Uh-huh. Um but and so apparently her and G are now like living off their life savings now because they don't have any income coming in and they had to sell. Well, well so they were renting a house in Potomac, right? Mm-hmm. But they were renting apparently two other properties, one in Charlotte and which, another one in Potomac. Yeah. Which is where they, she was talking about. And there, and he's like, why? And she was like, we're bi-coastal. And when you going, it's the same coast. Like, that was besides the point. Yeah, it was. But just the idea of like, I'm again, going back to it. I'm not a business person, but like, it's one thing to own multiple homes in like different properties where you're not going to be staying partly. But like, why rent yeah. multiple homes when you're, you're not adding any value and you're not going to get any return at the end of the day? She said she was like, she said it was like across the three properties. It was like $40,000 a month in rent. Like, Why I, do that? Like, that's just, like, $4,000 in rent, like, makes me heave. Like, 40000 No. Jeez, absolutely not. It just didn't make any sense to me. It's like, like, if it's not, I mean, it's not a housewife if they don't know what they're doing with their money at the end of the day, I guess. But I guess. Hey, at that point, you know, the 13000 that Ashley is spending with Michael seems not that bad anymore <laughs> yeah oh and then there, then there was this odd uh hot mic moment in the sort of transition so giselle is calling one of her daughters and they facetime with andy um and she's driving or whatever and then right at the end of the call she hangs up and giselle just turns to andy and goes hey is this an inappropriate question have you ever been with a woman <laughs> <laughs> and i was like what <laughs> like and andy's like no, but I would love to one day. What? And she's like, how old are you? And she's like, I'm, he's like, I'm 54. And she's like, if you don't do it by 60, I'll do it for you. And it's like, absolutely. Oh. That seems inappropriate. And, and well, like somebody called HR at Bravo. Well, like that seems. Well, Andy even himself says, I think that would be an HR issue. <laughs> but like, also the fact that Giselle is able to joke about that before we go into this next segment where we're talking about this Chris stuff. It's like. Okay, like, let's be real, Giselle. Um, but no, the, then we go into the Candace segment, but it's particularly the stuff with Chris and everything that's happened with her and Giselle. Um, and I also love that, that, like, Andy introducing this, like, clip package and being like, but an allegation against Chris. And then Giselle turning to Ashley and going, what was the allegation? As if we, uh, this is why I hate Giselle. When she plays dumb like this and she does the whole, like, you know, as if I wasn't doing anything like, you know, bullshit. It's like, stop. Either Who, def- me? Either defend your point or don't. Um, and then we also get some special unseen footage in this clip package of the fact that after Candace's uh, uh, album party or whatever, the finale, she said 15 minutes or so after that, I get a text message from Chris Bassett essentially apologizing. And it's him saying... I I've been really upset about everything that's gone down and stuff like that. I do want, I did want to talk to you about everything. If I made you feel uncomfortable, I am sorry. That wasn't my intention. And Giselle basically takes that as I am vindicated. 
He apologized. She literally says he admitted it. Yeah, it's like, oh my God, Giselle. It's not, no, 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 no. You are not going to sit here and malign this man all season and then come at the end and go, oh, well, he admitted that it happened. No, screw you, lady. And also, she says literally like, he admitted it, he apologized, I accept the apology, and we're moving on. Oh, thank you, Giselle. We're moving on. Thanks to the, you know, the decree from Giselle Bryant. Now we can move on in this situation. She it, still thinks that she's like the, the pastor's wife. Like, the, like, is he a bishop or whatever? I, yeah. Like, I don't know the, anyway, she thinks that she's up there second in command and that ain't you, ma'am. Yeah. You don't get to say now we're done with it. And you don't run this shit. And, and Candace gets into that later too, which like, you know, and, and Candace and Andy's basically like, that's not really an apology from him. That's him saying, you know, if this happened, if you ended up feeling this way. And Candace also points out, rightfully so, that that text message was also sent before the season aired. And we got to watch everything that was being said while we weren't there about and what the way she said it was the 15 different stories that you were telling to everyone and the exaggerations and the things that you were putting on and she was like what did i say and she said you know you calling him a sneaky link yeah specifically in that conversation with um robin in the i think it was like a diner or a little cafe or something and she was you know saying that he specifically thought that she would be down because she was single and he was like testing the waters. It's like, okay, so in that conversation, you have gone from this was an innocent, like, hey, this guy was just in the room and didn't understand the implications of what was going on, which I can get with that. Yeah. I can't get with your reaction, but I can get with how you would be uncomfortable in that situation. But he didn't do anything in the second that you asked him to leave, he did. So I can get with that. But when you then malign him to the point where you say, you that there were, was intention behind it. You were encroaching it. into my personal space on purpose, trying to get me to react in a way that would be inappropriate. And then keep in mind a couple episodes after that at the winery, Candace straight up asked Giselle, you don't believe he did this intentionally, right? And she goes, well, I don't know whether or not he did. It's like, well, clearly based on that conversation with Robin, you clearly knew that he was trying, doing something intentionally and with malice. And so that's where I'm, when I'm Candace and I'm watching that back, I'm like, I don't fuck with this woman. Fuck that. Like you're being duplicitous in everything that you're doing. And then when Candace brings up those comments, Giselle then tries to cop to it and goes, okay, well, I apologize for that. I apologize. I apologize. She, to take a page from uh, Garcelle Beauvais' playbook, uh, it seemed like Giselle was trying to own it before Candace came for her. Right. And it's, it was, it's a weaponized apology. And Candace was like, this is bullshit, first of all, that you're apologizing now because you could have... Uh, it's, not like, it's not like this is a new thing I'm bringing up to you, and it's not like you haven't spent not just the time during filming, but after filming, sticking to this. And now suddenly, now that you're finally being confronted, you're going to apologize. That's bullshit. And Ashley then has the goal to say, in defense of Giselle apologizing, like... I mean, I mean, it wasn't right for her. She, she likes to put a little sauce on things sometimes. Excuse me? Shut up, Ashley. Sit over there with your no alimony ass. Like, <laughs> like she puts a little sauce on it. That's something that, like, you say about, like, a, like, an okay time in the bedroom that you add, like, you know. That's not something you say about somebody trying to sexually harass another person. Ooh, 
<laughs> it's it. I was so mad at that. It was like, oh my god, like that is so. And Candace tells her to please take your apology and shove it up your ass, which was I think well deserved. One hundred percent. They get into a little bit more about Candace's. Um, they take they take one like minute for like a nice moment with Candace. Um, to talk about her uh, path with in vitro fertilization, she says she has six embryos. And she start, immediately starts crying and gets the crying go out. But it's a cute moment, and I'm glad that she, you know, is getting on that journey. And then they go right back to the um, <laughs> the, the Giselle stuff. Um, there was a viewer that asked the question about, like, Candace, it was also wrong for you to say that Giselle accused uh, Chris of sexual assault. She never said she, you know, he assaulted her. And she clarifies that the reason I said sexual assault was because of what was said about how she was saying that uh, Ashley's friend got her ass grabbed by Chris. Right. So she didn't directly accuse him of it, but she did spread a rumor that accused him of it. Which I love that Giselle is still going by that. That's what we thought we heard Ashley say. People only thought they heard Ashley say that because you were going around saying that. Like, no, you interpreted that and then went around and spread that. And that's like that then became the narrative. Yeah. Like, that's the fucking issue. Giselle. You, you heard it that way because that's how you wanted to hear it because it fit your narrative. Yeah. And it's like ugh, so f- frustrating. And then I'm sure it'll get worse in the parts to come. But oh, my God, Robin. You are such a fail, this reunion. The one, th- like, I had been so positive on Robin this season in terms of her being on Candace's and Chris's side of this whole uh, art thing with Giselle and sort of standing up to Giselle in certain ways of being mm-hmm. like, this isn't what you're making it out to be, et cetera. But no, she's just fallen right into the Giselle train this whole reunion and is fully on Gis- Giselle's side and just throwing Candace under the, under the bus and then has the gall to fucking make that comment about, guys, can't we just all agree that it's not okay and not but good optics for a man to be alone in a hotel room with another woman? And it's like, cut oh, to your husband buying a, a woman uh, a hotel room uh, in Baltimore. Can you? I mean, the fact that they recorded that podcast two weeks or whatever after that fucking reunion, knowing that Robin had said that at the reunion. Because they they don't keep track of their bullshit. You can tell because they say a different line of bullshit every time. It was just insane. And and honestly, that would have probably been an innocuous line at the reunion, but I bet the editors included that in there. Knowing what was, yeah. Yeah, because it's such a bullshit moment. And Andy brings up the good point of just being like, guys, like, like, I love that he prefaces it, and he does this a couple times where he's like, as a gay man, like, I maybe I'm, I'm wrong on this, but, like, this whole concept of, like, a man can't be in a room with another woman having a conversation, he was, he was like, it seems like something out of the fucking Victorian era. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? And he's right. Like, it's so ridiculous, the idea that simply Chris being in a room alone with Giselle, having a conversation is an infraction, is, like... So ridiculous at this point. And then, and then this is also why I love Candace, because then Giselle tries to do her other tactic, which she's like, you know, everyone says all the time, oh, Giselle, you go after husbands and you go after families, which, as she's saying this, Wendy pipes up and goes, you do, though. <laughs> and, but then she goes, but Karen, you were bringing stuff up about Juan this season, and you brought up stuff about Michael Darby. And Candace goes, stop. 
you are not going to deflect in this moment. This is what, and the Giselle does this shit all the fucking time. Oh yeah. She is the queen of what about isms. It's ridiculous. And like, and I love Candace being like, this is not an all lives matter moment. You are the culprit. Like it was so good. It was perfectly done by Candace. of just like not letting her, you know, get off the, of the uh, pedal in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And then Wendy uh, also brings up the, like, look, Normally, and I think myself and for the viewers, we would be willing to give Giselle the benefit of the doubt in this regard, but it's becoming a pattern at this point. It happened to me last season. Yep. Now it's happening to Candace, and it always seems to conveniently happen and start whenever cameras start to go up for the season. And Candace brings up the fact of like, we have met, we got together multiple times between the re- last year's reunion filming and the season starting, and you never fucking told me anything. And like, so the idea that you were looking out for me is bullshit. And she, even Giselle's like, when did I see you in between filming? And Candace goes, my album release party? And she literally goes, oh yeah, that. But what, you wanted me to, while you were performing on stage, tell you? It's like, oh my God, Giselle. You also act like you don't have her phone number and can't contact her any fucking time you want to. You could have picked up the phone and said, girl, we need to have a conversation. Let's go, let's have you over to the house for drinks or I'll come over or we can, you know, go out somewhere. Like, we need to have a small conversation. I want to get this cleared on the air. I want to get the air cleared before we go back to filming. It just amazes me how she'll just lie. And then immediately when evidence is presented against it, then just renege on the lie immediately. It's like, Oh my God. Um, and then Candace is then going off on her as the show's closing. And she talks about like, you know, the, because your storyline wasn't enough for you, you had to attack other families. You should have focused on your dwindling uterus, which a lot of people on Twitter were like up in arms about, but I'm sorry. And yes, and you know, maybe it was insulting to people who actually go through that stuff. And I, and I can understand that, but like, I'm from the, I'm adopt, I'm from the Candy Burr school of interactions of, I am not Michelle Obama. If you go low, I will go lower. Like, Uh like Giselle has brought this dialogue to a certain place where it's like, I'm not mad at Candace for anything she says to her at this point. And Candace has been playing good for most of the season. And honestly, the fact like. Candace used to have such a bad repu- uh, uh, reputation for being on the right side of an issue, but going too far in yeah. every single confrontation. And the fact that this is the one time she's even had a toe over the line this whole season says a lot about her growth and her restraint. Like she, she could have gone after Giselle's jugular from day one in that dance studio. Right. And she decided not to. She decided, I am a better person than this. I'm a. I'm going to try to do the Michelle Obama route and go high because she's going low. And then in this moment, she went full Candy Burris. And that is fine because I stand Candy Burris. She is another person I stand. Tattoo that on my ass too. <laughs> but no, it was other. I mean, it was a great reunion, I think, for the first part. And I think it's going to be even better to come. And then we also are going to get, it seems like the Robin portion, we're going to get more questions that were asked during the Watch What Happens Live segment that weren't shown, it seems, from the preview. Um, so that'll be interesting to see. I, I don't know how that's going to shake out in terms of everything once this whole season's over. But it's it's... The rumor currently online is that Robin and Sharice will not be returning. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, I think I, 
Contracts have not gone out yet, but that is the rumor online. Where you know, where does Robin go at the end of the day? How do you even address this on the season if you bring her back the next season? Like, yeah, there's you know, there are more entertaining people in Potomac than these women. Some of these women, um, and they need to be given a chance to slot into this because this cast has been pretty stable. Unlike most housewives franchises, this cast has been pretty stable for the most part since its inception. Yeah. Like, we've had a couple slot ins and slot outs, but there's it's not nearly the overturn that other shows have had. So I think it's about time for a good a good cast shake, shake up. Yeah, I think it could, they could use it. They could cut off half of this cast, and we all know the half that it is, <laughs> and um, keep Karen and Wendy and uh, Candace and get us some other ladies in there that really can bring it in a way that is not incredibly toxic. Sure. I, I, you know, I would love to see Giselle still there, at least for one more season. If, if for not, no other reason than to get some comeuppance. Yeah. To have a good dragging season. I think she just kind of earned it, but yeah, I, I can see that. Um, but let's move on to uh real housewives of New Jersey for this week. Uh, more, st- a lot of, I mean, we talk about the drama that's happening in, in Potomac. I mean, Jersey is sort of, you know, even more overarching in terms of everything going on, particularly with the uh, the Gorgas of it all. Yes, but I oddly feel like it's still a more relaxed show than Potomac at, is. At least at this point, like at, 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 you know, I mean, we know it. In. We know it hits off, you know, later with all the stuff surrounding the wedding. But it's just, it seems so much lighter. I, I know I've said this in previous weeks, but it seems so much lighter than it used to. Yeah. We do get a little bit of a fight in the end, but other than that... Like yeah, it, but it still wasn't nearly as bad as we used to get on Jersey, like, weekly. Sure, that's fair. Um, but we start the episode at the sort of tail end of the mozzarella party and Teresa and Melissa going at it. Uh, don't make that hand motion. I saw you. <laughs> Doing the hand motion again, the Italian. Yeah. Um, but uh, they're fighting, and uh, Teresa, uh, you know, is basically, you know, talking about, like, that she just felt that, you know, they weren't there for, like, that they weren't as supportive as to Louie as they could have been, et cetera, and discussing it. And eventually, Teresa relents and offers Melissa a spot as a bridesmaid in the wedding, which Melissa rejects, but in a way to say, like, look, I don't, I don't need this. We can put it ourselves past it, whatever. Controversial opinion. I think this was another time that showcased, like, I feel like Teresa's in the right place in this. Like, I, I agree, but I do feel like Melissa feels like it's similar to what Giselle just did on the reunion in Potomac is the, oh, well, like, you've caught me, so now I'm just going to apologize and be done with it. So I think there's a key, for me, I feel a key sort of difference. And I, I do feel bad for Teresa because I think that Teresa's kind of in a no-win scenario when it comes to this. Yeah. Because any any gesture is going to look like, it, at least in the minds of Melissa and Joe, seemingly, that you're doing this just to save face. I mean, like, she, like reaching out before they were filming after the reunion aired, in their mind, was also her just saving face. So it's like... I, I understand. I, I also... I get it because I've dealt with manipulative people trying to worm their way back into your life after you've put in a boundary. Um, So I get why they would feel that way if it is how it is being presented 
currently. Yeah. Again, we don't know what's happening behind the scenes, but I, from what we are being presented, it feels like I can understand why Melissa and Joe would feel like Teresa is just putting on a facade to get back in. I, but I also feel because we're seeing things from a different angle with what they're presenting on the show, we're seeing some behind the scenes stuff with Teresa. And I really do think that she's evolved and think that this is genuine from her. Um, I, I just think it's a sad situation where both people are trying to be genuine. Teresa is reaching out earnestly, but there's just too much pain. Too much has happened. I, yeah, I, I, and I understand that. Like, I think the key in this fight was that like, Teresa, while saying her own feelings of why she felt hurt, I think the difference was she was also acknowledging Melissa's feelings in the I sense agree. of, in, which is very unlike Teresa. Like, yes. In the sense of like, I can understand why you would feel upset if you thought that you were not seated or that, that because of the confusion or whatever with the seating that you thought that I was, you know, I can understand feeling really upset about that. And I think that's the key difference that we haven't seen from Teresa in the past to me, to why it feels different to me. I, I agree. Yeah. Like I said, I think that Teresa has really turned over a new leaf. I think that she's presenting a new um, attitude towards everything. And even like where we've seen her outside the show on Watch What Happens and like all the other places, like she, she's consistent. Yeah. Like she is consistently sad that they can't fix things i think the only way that they would be able to fix things is to just everybody agree to move forward and drop everything that has happened in the past well and also they need to go to therapy they yes Which, they need to go to therapy they need to drop everything that has happened before and work to move past it on their own yeah everybody just needs to have a blanket apology i'm sorry for everything that i have done that has hurt you Okay, I'm sorry for everything that I have done that has hurt you. Let's move forward. Let's never bring up anything from the past up again. And let's everybody agree to go to therapy and work through these things on our own yeah, so that I, we can come together as a family. I think the therapy is the key thing, because and we'll talk about it later, because my sense of the whole thing is like, I feel like the biggest thing is this, that they put a Band-Aid on things for a long time and didn't actually you know, really dealt because neither of them felt for a long time, like the type that would go to therapy or like really have a inkling to want to, because I'm sure with their, you know, the heritage and all that stuff. And well, the, and Teresa has said, and I think earlier episodes, maybe it was this episode that therapy is very stigmatized among the Italian community. So I can understand why nobody has done it up till now. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking um, when we watched this show uh, originally earlier this week that um, the idea of family is really kind of being, you feel a little bit weaponized. Yes, I, I think, well, weapon, I think it's, it's being, well, maybe not weaponized. I think more it's being used as a crutch and that there's a lot of talk, especially in the fight at the end of the episode with Joe and Louie about like, well, this is Italian tradition and this is family. And you know, you know, the way that family Italian families are, and this is this, this is the, um, uh, the rules of how to so go about things. And my issue is that sometimes when you put in those rules and you make it such a regimented thing, you don't actually develop relationships and you don't actually, um, deal with issues because if you're expected to just be on a certain, like if you're expected to just put everything aside and bottle it up 
for a you know a family get together or for a you know you know event or whatever like that i feel is a, a really toxic way to handle things right and for me i feel like that's a bastardized version of what it was originally meant to be sure i feel like the whole point of family is we are connected beyond just superficial ties we should work twice three times, four times as hard to make sure that we are on a good place. Sure. And that's what it should be about. It should be a, you are family, so we need to fix this because we we can't be fighting like this. We have to find a way to to fix this between us and make sure that we are closer than ever as opposed to we are family, so you can't question me and you can't be mad at me. So yeah. you have to bury those emotions, and I don't deserve to have to be challenged on this. It's more in, in like having the tools to fix it, I think. And right. like knowing what the knowing what fixing looks like. Well, and when you're not going to therapy and nobody is going to therapy, like you're not gonna get those tools. Yeah. Um, so we go uh later into the episode and we're at Del- Dolores' house and Polly's over. Um, because they're going to do the photo shoot with Frank that Frank missed out on. Cause like, he was in the hospital for like some like gastrointestinal something or other. Um, yeah. He couldn't shit for like 12 hours. Basically <laughs> that is how they put it. Um, and, uh, Polly and Frank's relationship is kind of interesting. Like, so, uh, at the reunion last year, Frank famously referred to him as Buzz Lightyear. Uh, so now, uh, Polly's calling Frank, Mr. Potato Head. Um, which I think was a fun little, you know, it's a little, you know, squabble between a ex-husband and the and the wife's new uh boyfriend i guess like he does have skin that re- um resembles that of a uh potato a little uh, like a weak left out potato yeah a little, a little too wrinkly um but no uh frank- and that's to be clear from sun damage not from age we are not ageist on this podcast no and you you have also professed your love for frank and Tanya, so Right. Um, oh, but, I was talking about Polly. Oh, Polly. <laughs> That's fair. Um, but um, Frank comes over and uh, invites Polly to the guys' night that they're doing later in the week. And Polly and him are kind of having a conversation. They talk about um, Frank getting in contact with Polly through Dolores and that, you know, oh, I can like message Dolores to let you know. And Polly's like, no, I don't really do things like that. You can contact me. He says something about like, don't have a, uh, don't send a woman to do, do a, a man's, man's job. job, which I, again, on Jersey, <clears throat> I mean, it's very Joe Gorga of him. Um, well, I mean, it, it's very Italian of him. I didn't like the framing of that necessarily, but I get, I think his larger point was like, you we don't it doesn't have to be a thing where it's like we're only like a dynamic through Dolores because they hinted like last episode that there seemed to be a little bit of a distance between Frank and Polly and that there was like trepidation on Frank's part of like yeah but that is because Frank and Dolores have a kind of evolved relationship yeah um as opposed to Dolores teen tends to like men that are more traditional. It, we've seen this in several people that she's dated, but um, specifically Polly um, is very, I am the man, I am in charge, and you should be talking to me, not to her. That's yeah. how it came off to me. And I was like, that's 
and I don't know uh, if he necessarily meant in terms of the in terms of the household necessarily. Because they're just dating. Like <laughs> it would be real weird if that was the dynamic, and they're just dating. Yeah, but I think he was. I I think it was an attempt by Polly, inartfully said, to like try to like get more of a built relationship between him and Frank that wasn't just based around Dolores. Well, it felt but Frank like took it weirdly. It, so. I took it the same way that Frank did. It felt like he was saying, you don't talk to her. She is my woman. You talk to me. Yeah. I it, found it, it sounded very he-man woman hater to me. And I just, it, it rubbed me the real wrong way. Yeah. I don't think that was, I don't think that was his intention, uh, but they do the photo shoot with Frank and he's the Easter bunny. They did him April. wrong. This was so like, they did go back and look at last week's episode. They did everybody else in a, they did everybody else in this sexy shot that made, that showed off their best asset. What did they do with Frank Catania? They put him in some bunny ears and a little bow tie and a little, uh, fluffy bunny tail and a Easter basket. And put him in the sun too, which only showed out how like overly tan he was. It's just not like they did him wrong. They could have done so many other looks. Like if you took off the, the bunny parts, right. And you just had the, the bow tie and had him like lounging on the grass with like, he could even still have the brown, the, the black shorts on. Right. But have the Easter basket, like in front of his crotch area that like implies that he's naked but he's covered, right? Sure. Like, it would still be more in line, I thought, and maybe have, like, flowers around and, like, some maybe some stuffed Easter bunnies or, like, eggs or whatever around that would still be very Easter, but it would still be on the same level of sexy that they did for everybody else. They made a joke out of Frank Catania, and that pissed me off. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so th- we go on to uh, Melissa, Margaret, and Jackie, who are out for lunch together. And this was a very interesting conversation. So they, um, you know, they talk about Jackie not going to Danielle's mozzarella party. And then Melissa sort of relays about how Jackie was kind of looking Danielle up and down. And she, that Danielle kind of followed like a very judgy vibe from her. And Jackie's response, I felt was very unlike Jackie in a weird way of being like, I mean, in fairness, her outfit was horrible. It was like, like her her shorts looked like they were pulled out of the hamper, and it's like, you know, I I you know, and then she made like a jab at her fashion sense, and it was like this doesn't seem very Jackie to me. Yeah, the only thing I mean, if the they were overly wrinkled, which we couldn't tell in the episode, um, but if they were overly wrinkled, I could understand having some sort of like criticism in that regard, but. The outfit was fine. It was a white, plain white top with some plain white shorts and a cute little colorful bandana tied through. Like, I was thinking last week, we talked about it, and I was thinking, you know, maybe her eye was just drawn to the colorful scarf used as a belt. No, she was being shady. But now in, in this, we get, like, multiple opinions from Rachel. No. Danielle. Which Danielle. One is it? It's Danielle. Danielle. Yeah, you uh, trust me, don't worry. I, I confuse them <laughs> both as well. Um I'll get used to it. They're just new. Um we get multiple opinions from Danielle as to why she's giving her this look. Either she's being judgy 
because she thought that the outfit was bad or she was jealous because of her legs. Well, I think I think I wasn't reading too much in that cuz I think like the the whole like oh she's jealous like people I thought it was uh, reaching was pe- my point. People assert the two things like as like coinciding of like you you're either going to be judgy because you're jealous is like I di- I didn't have a big issue with that. I just found it weird that like Jackie like shading someone's fashion sense and like you know, it seemed very unlike her in terms of like everything that she's presented. I also feel like she's maybe gotten the the vibe that these girls are going to cut her out, maybe as a friend of, and she's not going to get the camera time she needs to remain on the show. That's um, that's honestly probably a because I know tradition. she's stepping back to give her family some privacy while she's dealing with her eating disorder and writing her book and all of that stuff. Um, and so I I understand why she took the step back to friend of status this season. Um, but I also feel like she's going, oh crap! I've got to step it up because you in that first episode she literally gets left out of a conversation that she's literally in the circle. There's three of them standing together and she's ignored. So I understand if that's the first impression you're really getting of how this dynamic is going to be. Why she went? Oh, I got to step this up. Sure. Because they're going to write me out of this show, and I'm never going to get back to actually being a housewife yeah and i feel like she wants to get back there yeah i can see that um so we go to uh rachel and uh her taking her daughter to like a photo like i think one of her like birthday like photo shoot sort of things that people do for like younger kids or whatever um and but we get sort of more of rachel's backstory uh in terms of her uh being a mother particularly uh, she talked about, um, unfortunately, she had a miscarriage the first time that her and her husband sort of attempted to kind of have a baby and how tragic it was. And she never really got pregnant again after that. And then before going through IVF, which I feel like the, we've seen so many women with IVF journeys on Housewives. It's honestly, it, it, like maybe it's more common than fertility issues is more common than people realize. Like it is, but IVF is extremely expensive. So while it's most, more available to that sort of right. upper echelon, that makes sense. Yeah. Most women just have to keep trying or just never get to have that opportunity, Yeah, which really sucks. And she, she's crying in the middle of this photo shoot, which sad, but anytime people are crying in like awkward moments during the show, I, I find very funny in a weird way. Um, like, crying at a playground or something we'll weird see, like that. We'll see that a little bit during our Vanderpump Rules review. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and she talks about how they still have five embryos and that she wants hopefully another boy because her she only has her stepson from the uh, previous relationship. Um, and so uh, she wants to do that as soon as possible and her husband more wants to wait a year and see things out. Um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, good. she seems very down to earth and, and, and um, relatable in a way that i really like i both her and danielle the newbies i think are doing a really good job in sort of this opening time on the show um but then we get to sort of the big part of this episode which is uh teresa's at the house and she uh is sitting down with gia which also gia's eating a salad and she asks her mom if she wants to buy and she's like now i have to lose 10 pounds for the wedding and gia goes 
it's just a salad. Like it's literally like <laughs> she's I, I, if I may. It's like there are zero calories here. Eat a lettuce. I know. It's like it's as if it's like a steak dinner or something. Um, but then so they sort of start talking uh, and then uh, Louis comes into the conversation. So does Gabriella, uh, one of Teresa's other daughters. Um, and they start talking about the stuff with Melissa and that how well and she brings up the fact that she offered at the party uh, for Melissa to be one of her bridesmaids um, and that Melissa said no. And Gia goes, I wish you hadn't even offered that, to be honest. And it's like very like. It very standoffish in terms of the dynamic with Melissa and Joe. And so then this topic then gets brought up about the podcast that happened of mm-hmm. um, on Melissa's podcast. She had Joe on and they were talking about things. I think this was post the reunion. I want to, I want to say, um, and they were talking about the dynamic and stuff like that. And they brought up this thing about how um, when Teresa went to prison and it was Joe in the house, Joe wasn't making any money. And so therefore when Joe was doing the spinoff reality show, like sideshow while Teresa was in prison, uh, they claimed that nobody would film with Joe. And so in order for like the show to happen, we had to be there. And if we weren't the comment that Joe makes is if we weren't there, her children wouldn't, wouldn't have been fed. And I, a lot, I remember a lot of people taking offense to that when it came out and like, Gia is very much, and we see Gia in in a confessional basically say like, basically, if we weren't filming, we never saw them, uh, Joe and Melissa. And so we started to see this kind of like both, and then Gabriella also starts saying stuff to sort of support that as well, that the whole idea. And this is an interesting sort of topic in terms of the kids discussing this and and it's hard to i also don't even like necessarily the word kids as much as they are kids like g is in her early 20s gabriella who we haven't heard speak really at all on the show she's not someone who really talks on camera all that much she's 17 at the time of this so it's like i saw a lot of people sort of discussing the concept of like well you know and i thought you brought up a fair point of like they may not have known the specific like money element of it of like right. of like what the dynamic was in terms of finances and stuff like that right yeah. especially because i would think in like pride is a big part of a lot of um a lot of different cultures actually but uh, italians have a sense of pride about taking care of their family yeah um because family is so important to them and the inability to do that would be a hit to the pride. Right. So I can understand why that would not be told to the kids, why they would be absolutely unaware of any of that stuff going on. Cause Joe wouldn't have told them. He barely told Teresa stuff. You think he's going to talk to Gia about it? No. Sure. Um, number one, number two, um, we don't, I would love to hear from Joe Judice. I would love to hear from him now and hear his take on what was happening around that show. Well, because if it is true that no one else would film with him until Joe and, um, until Joe and uh, Melissa. Melissa signed on, 
they have a, a leg to stand on on this argument because they literally did put food on their table. Look, all of Joe's businesses were fraudulent because of the, the tax evasion. Sure. So he couldn't provide, like, what was he going to do? He had to do this show. Well, and I right? also want to know sure that the... Bravo came to, to Joe and Melissa and was like, we want to do this show and we need you on board to do it. I'd love to hear from Bravo. I want to hear what that conversation was. Well, also, like, I, I want to know what the deal also was in the court system because if, like, they were given a, a sort of sweetheart sort of deal when it came to their sentencing where that Teresa got to serve her sentence by herself while Joe was still at home with the kids. In order to keep the kids out of the foster care system. Essentially. And then uh, once Teresa got out, Joe had to go in. Right. And... But I also felt like, wouldn't that also, like, would restitution also play a role in that? Like, I can't start paying restitution until, like, my kids are in a stable enough place in which, you know, because if I'm, if I'm going to be paying restitution to the point where I can't feed my four kids, like, that's also not, I mean, at that point, it's not even tenable for me to be there. I mean, I probably, it's, it's. Probably there's that sort of deal with wealthy people. I know they don't give a shit about poor people. Sure. I mean, yeah. Um, they will rob poor people blind um, in order to pay their taxes back. So, yeah, it like they they will screw poor people over in that regard and take their kids from them. Right. But And, and I agree with you in the sense that Gia and Gabriella may not know that element of things. But in terms of some of the stuff that they're talking about, in terms of... Like, like G is saying that we never saw the Gorgas necessarily. Well, of course they didn't. And to, unless the Joes were fighting. Of course they wouldn't be around outside of the front that they were putting up for the cameras. Like, I, that, I know I brought this up to you before. Um, like, why would I, as Joe Gorga, come into a house where I have been vilified by my sister and her husband and the minds of my nieces have been poisoned against me for years up to this point. Why would I spend any time with that family outside of what I'm contractually obligated to do by the show that we are all on? But in fairness, you can't, I mean, we just talked about the sort of like them discussing the dynamic of like, well, what, what a family is and what a family does for each other. But also I think, but I don't think that the stuff with Joe Judice was as bad as it later became after he went into prison. It seemed like they were in a good enough, solid enough place. And it seemed that of what G is talking about, and she didn't clarify, you know, I would love a clarification. It seemed like this dynamic extended when Teresa got back from prison too, as well of that. We haven't really seen them unless we're filming. And to me, I think, you know, there's a, you know, we should look into everything and, and I'm not saying to take their words as gospel necessarily. Um, but I, I saw a lot of dynamic of like, Oh, you know, you can't really trust that, you know, it's not just what Teresa's feeding them completely. And I, I don't know. I personally disagree with that notion in terms of I've experienced it in my life. I was telling you about this. Um, like when my dad died, like we had a lot of like extended family members, like, show up at the funeral and like be around us, you know, and it, this was, you know, my mom was a single mother at that time raising two kids, like, and be like, we're going to be there for you guys. We're going to lift you guys up. We're going to be your support system. And maybe one of them did, 
when it came when push came to shove after the sort of like front facing things. And I was fourteen at the time. My brother was eleven. Like, but we still remember that. Like, I think like sure. There's there's certain there are of course things that you're not going to see. You know, when you're that child that you're not privy to that you don't have access to. But there's also things that you do see with your own eyes that I think. You know, can't, I, I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying take their word as gospel. I'm saying I don't think their word should be entirely discounted. And I'm not saying you're doing that. I think some people I've seen online. Oh, yeah, like, of course. Like, I don't think their word should be fully discounted just because they're children. Yeah. I mean, there are tree huggers who will always be on Tree's side. There are people who are Melissa Stans who will always be a Melissa and Joe's We side. need a Melissa Stan name. Yeah, we really do. Um, <laughs> we, is it like the Ladams and the, and the Robins? <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, we'll have to come up. Gorgonites, maybe? I don't oh, know. God. Um, but yeah, no, I th- but it was, a, it was a, a riveting conversation, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, and it, it's going to continue to develop, over, to develop over the season. I wish we had some more clarification on things, but I don't think we're ever going to get it. I think it's just going to continue being things hurled at each other in anger and everything's going to constantly be construed because of personal viewpoints, because of time warping memory and emotions warping memory. And people are just so entrenched in their belief of the way that things happened that they're never going to budge. Sure. My question also is, do you think that we're going to see G at the reunion? I think there's a very high possibility of that. It depends on how active she is in the season going forward. Yeah. Well, and also with the, so also on social media this week, we saw Joe Gorga and Joe Judice like meeting up at that bar. Right. And, and and getting caught on camera somehow. Um, and Gia's response to that on social media was very negative, and it's it's interesting to see. I mean, you know, we'll see how it all plays out. Um, but we go to um, Melissa and Danielle are at some like clothing, like sort of sa- uh, shop or whatever, because I think Melissa's looking at stuff for Envy. I can't believe Envy's still a thing. Like, I feel like we haven't yeah. heard of Envy in years. And they get to talking. And Danielle is bringing up this uh, sort of her background and her family dynamic right now and the fact that she doesn't speak to her brother and then go to her brother's wedding after. At first, this seemed really stupid in terms of the dynamic. Like she tried to present some like this is stupid as to why he's mad at me. And then Melissa's like, "Mm, but that seems real dumb. And then she goes, "Okay, yeah, well, there was all this other stuff. Sure. what well, are you doing? It, it can't. It can't just simply be like that. You did an Instagram influencer video, and he said it was stupid, and then you blocked him, and he got mad. Like I can't. That can't be all of it. Like, but it was so interesting. Like, does this? I think I was telling you this. Of like, does this feel like they're setting up Danielle to be the new Teresa to like fill her spot when Teresa inevitably does her own spinoff? Like, I mean, maybe the fact that her story is so eerily similar to like. The, like the brother is like not speaking to the family right i think he's only speaking to her dad at this point mm-hmm. and like you know this sort of strained dynamic of of that and then we go later uh pretty soon later they do a um her daughter uh is doing this like art and when i say her daughter her daughter is four by the way who's doing this like art event for that so, she was supposed to do it for her school yeah there was like a there was like a a project or something that was really cool happening at school and 
it got canceled for some reason. I think for COVID, probably. Oh, probably, yeah. And But she was really excited about it, so they wanted to do it at home so that she still got to have that experience. And I thought that was really sweet. Yeah, but also, like, the stuff that she... And again, her daughter's four. And learning, but, like, Jackson Pollock and, like, all of these different, like, famous artists. It was like, what are they teaching in this, like, art class? Like, for, for, like this is finger painting years. What are we doing, guys? It was, it was I mean, something, you know. Um, but she has her parents over for it. And they, and we got to get her backstory in terms of that, that her parents divorced when she was eight. And that she, it was very contentious also, the divorce. and like, For a long time. And uh, recently they've, they have mended things and have become a family again. They're not together, obviously, but they are, they are on good terms. And, well, and part of it was she kind of gave, she says she kind of gave them an ultimatum in the sense of like, if you want to be in my kid's life, you guys have to like... Yeah, get your I shit mean, together. And I get it. Like, I'm not dancing around you. If you want to be here, you're not causing drama in my house. Yeah. Um. And I love. And she talks about how like and her how her son and her daughter kind of have a really like close bond right now, and that she like that she would never want them to be in sort of that contentious relationship like her and her brother have right now. Yeah. And I love that she says, um, when she, uh, if my son marries a mega bitch, I'll poison her. And I was like, that was real dumb for you to say, because in about 20 years, when your son inevitably marries a mega bitch, they're going to be pulling this footage for yeah. your trial. Sure. Um, well, and then in the, cause in the Melissa conversation, she also brings up the thing of like, I feel like it's his wife, her brother's wife that is like causing this thing. And obviously Melissa takes issue with that. Because of, the, of right. the stuff with Teresa, um, and sort of you know that dynamic of it all, um, and and her her dad is like crying, like talking about it, um, about how they want the relationship to form again. Like I said, like I feel like this is like set up for like to fill the, the Teresa role. Which honestly, though, I it kind of seems like time, right? Like Tree needs to move on. I think I well, especially if the if the, the if the Teresa Melissa thing is not gonna mend, which I'm not saying it necessarily should, one of them has to go at the yeah. end of the day. And I think Teresa would do well with a spinoff, to be honest. I think yeah. it would do well in ratings and it would probably, you know, be really successful. And I really do think that Joe is kind of the center of the husband group. And so I think getting rid of Melissa would really kind of weird, make that dynamic weird. Yeah. And that's such a integral part to Jersey and what sets it apart from the rest of the housewives shows um, is the, the, the fact that the husbands are integral characters and that they are just as big of a part of the show as the wives are. Um, and that's something we don't get anywhere else. And I think that's really cool and really special here, but I think that could be ruined if Joe Gorga leaves. Yeah. Um, so we go to the guys night, uh, and right before this, Joe and Melissa had talked to Melissa's parents about, um, how they apparently weren't invited to Teresa's wedding and how Joe and Joe was very upset about that. Um, and Joe, so Joe's coming into this dinner, or this guy's night, like pissed and is already drinking and especially shots. someone pointed out online. It's really extremely insulting that. Melissa's family was not invited to the wedding, but then Teresa literally meets Ion from Dubai one day, and she sure. gets an invite to the wedding. Sure, yeah, there was a like, lot of Bravo people that the and like it was that such probably, a slap in the face. Like that's just, but I also there's no way that Tree didn't know how that was going to land. But I also saw stuff about how like it seemed like Melissa's sisters particularly were like 
have been very anti-Teresa on social media, like in terms of prior to this, like in terms of posting and stuff like that. And that's also where the family dynamic thing is like of the whole, like, well, this is an Italian family thing. It's like, personally, I don't think a fa- a, a sister-in-law's family is a close enough dynamic blood bond in which to automatically receive an invite to me. Maybe, maybe to you. And I know we differ on this because I do have a large family that is close ish. Sure. Um, so I get it. Um, but I also, Joe brings up a very good point that Melissa's mom was very, very good friends with Joe's dad, Joe and Teresa's dad. Like, she should have been there. Yeah, that that maybe you can have the mother there and not the others. Th- that could have been discussion. But then have her there alone with no jo- Joe and Melissa, with none of her daughters, with none of anybody else to be with her, and she's just supposed to go to this wedding well, alone. Well, at the time, at the time, Joe and Melissa were still invited to the wedding, while they weren't in necessarily the wedding party. That's a that's a whole different dynamic. But so. Joe's already pissed going into this dinner and he's basically going to confront Louie about it, which it's like, it's not Louie's fucking fault at the end of the day. Like what is like, Louie makes the point during the conversation. Like what is, what am I supposed to do as the fiance? Like, well, and it was good to hear from Louie that it was like, no, I have stood up for you behind closed doors. I have fought for y'all's relationship to get better. And it seems like Louie and Melissa have kind of taken on similar roles and that they have, I don't necessarily will say go so far as to say that Melissa has fought for Teresa, but Melissa has very much pushed Joe to fix this. Yeah. And it seems like Louie is doing the same, and so much that they are actually, according to Louie, it seems to insinuate that they have gotten into fights over this. Yeah. And we know that Melissa and Joe have gotten into fights over this. So it, it's just, it's so sad how much, like like I said earlier, if they could just learn to put it all down and go to therapy, get all of this anger out and come back together, like they could be such a strong, happy family together, but they are just so clinging to deep wounds. And like, I understand why Joe was mad at, Joe Giudice for so long. I understand why he's mad at Teresa. I understand why Teresa is mad at Joe. But like at the end of the day, if family is important to you, you need to find a way to fix it. Well, and I also th- I think that's why it feels like to me like a sense of like passing the and that that's why I'm always in the sense of like Teresa and Joe Gore have both fucked this relationship relationship oh, up. Both of them extent. absolutely. And I think Melissa obviously because Melissa's the other housewife, she it becomes Teresa versus Melissa. It's not. It's Teresa versus Joe. And I think. The, when Joe is like comparing Louie to Joe Judice, it's like that doesn't That's make any fair. that doesn't make any fucking sense. And it's like it feels like you're just trying to pass the buck to like another instead of actually confronting things. And like and Louie in, in the face of Joe like screaming at him and calling him a pussy and being like you're not a man, which like oh god, we need more of that fucking conversation on the show. Jesus like, Christ. you know, I love that. I did like Louie just being like like stop with the theatrics for a second and like let's actually like talk about this and like I really do love Louie. I think he's a good guy and I and they and was some of the early stuff, you know, of his background maybe a little shady. Yes, 
Should there have been questions asked? Yes. But I oh, I do think at the end of the day, he's trying to put Therese on the right path. I agree. And I and and he seems generally like a really good guy that is in a situation that like you know and 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 genuinely I think he cares for Joe. I think he really does love Joe like a brother and, and he I really can, wants to fix things. And I th- I can under I can think of a scenario when you're put into that dynamic where you would then be meek and like not like I like that he's being vocal and standing up in these moments. Like I think it's important of him to do that because you need someone like to be cuz Melissa's not going to do that in terms of like being that vocal and like that like you know, unfortunately, because of the whole male-female dynamic and stuff like that. Yeah. Like, so you need someone like Louis to do that. And I think that's important at the end of the day. But yeah. so that was Jersey for this week. A really good episode. Let's transition on to Real Housewives of Miami for this week. Uh, we're getting real close to the finale and, and the conclusion of this. Um, but uh, Miami is still... Got a lot of good stuff going for them. Uh, we uh, start with the cliffhanger from last episode of the analogy that uh, shocked the nation. With it Adriana. was a bad analogy, but I get it. Again, I understand. And she immediately apologizes or tries well, to. No. She tries to apologize. She she tries to apologize. In a very she, Adriana way. like Sure. But I also feel like. And and we'll I guess we'll get to it later in the episode, but I feel like she um she has reason to feel the way that she feels and to react the way that she reacts or reacts to things. And um I think that this is an excuse to hate on her. Um I, and I think not, about, yeah. not that she would not that uh Alexia. Lars, Alexia. I don't think that Alexia is nearly as upset as she is making it out to be, and she is putting on airs in order to have an excuse to shit on Adriana. I think both things can be true. I think it's a, you know, I think, I think Alexia can be initially very upset by it. I, I, you know, I think the problem is she has a lot of people that are revving her up in terms of the after effects. Like Marisol is not going to defuse that situation. No. And neither is Larsa, who obviously, who's hated Adriana for seasons now, so of course not. Um, I understand her being initially offended by it, and I and but per- not to the level she was. She was being so theatrical with that. She was like sobbing, and like, it was you. It could have. I mean, it was very want to talk about Adriana acting like she's on a telenovela, bitch. That performance right well, there was telenovela worthy. We'll, and we'll get to that to that later. But I mean, it's very, again, analogies don't work on this show. It was. I mean, it was no real different than Erica Jane. And and Eileen, their stuff about I thought Erica overreacted. Well, yes, but I I just feel like they're. I like, thought Teresa overreacted last season with Jackie. Yes, but I think when you're talking about like Frankie, like like I think a lot of the women were saying that like this is just like it's just like a no go zone in terms of that, and like it was just also in her like the back and forth that was happening. Uh, Adriana just yelling, like I could have lost my foot. It's like stop, you didn't like like. I mean, theoretically, if they had hit at a different angle, probably. Okay, but you can. Okay, but, but like, by that dynamic, if I throw a football and hit you in the kneecap, are you am I, are you going to say that you could you could have lost your leg? Like, no, because it's not hitting with the same force as two bodies. I think it's. I just thought it was really and, and actually three bodies because didn't they also knock Nicole over? 
Uh, they well, they like nudged uh, Lisa a little bit, but like oh, it was from the back. I couldn't tell who it was, but like but Lisa, yeah, they they almost knocked Lisa over, and she also ran into Audrey. So it was like it was the weight of three of those ladies, and I get that most of it's silicone, but still, like <laughs> and at one point, Alexia is yelling about it, and and Adriana, uh, as she's yelling, goes release your release your rage, calling back to the rage thing, like, right. and I was like, that's a choice. Uh, to say in this moment. Um, but then they separate and like uh, Marisol's getting into it with Adriana and like Julia says something and Marisol tells her to pipe down. And out of nowhere, Julia just grabs this bucket of ice and tries to throw it on Marisol unprompted. I feel like Julia has only cursory watched other Housewives franchises because if she had watched with any sort of attention, she would know you got to move quick. Yeah. You're going to throw a drink. You got to move quick. And yeah. she's mo- doing a whole bucket of ice that needed to come back around from the back and yeah. back over the top. She was trying to pull it up straight up in between them when they're real close together. It's not going to work, sweetie. That's I, not going to, you're never going to get that. To it just went from, but it also just went from zero to ice bucket. It's just <laughs> like, it was like, what are we doing? Um, but they separate at one point and Nicole is trying to talk to Adriana about this. And this is where I just lose Adriana in terms of this, which is just like she, her whole argument is like, well, I don't have a husband and I don't have a man, so nobody can move my wheelchair. And so then I will starve and then I won't, cause I won't be able to cook for myself. And then, then I'll die in my, it's like, Oh my God, girl. Like it's not I, that serious. Sure. What ended up happening in the extent of her, injury we will say because it was bruised nicole said it was bruised sure and she's the doctor i'm Uh, gonna trust her take her word for it even though she's not a podiatrist (laughs) um so like she did get injured and i can understand if you don't have any support system in your life how it could trigger some anxiety of oh my god if this had been worse i would have been screwed Sure. Like I would have been completely like left alone with no way to take care of myself. Like I have no one around me to help me out. I'm lucky that I have Julia on this trip with me who will help me get around. But back home, what am I supposed to do? If I had actually broken my foot, if I had actually been in a much more serious situation, I would be put in a situation where I could not care for myself. I can understand, especially after she has been shat on for so long by this group of women, I can understand why her anxiety goes there. I can I I, I understand that anxiety in a general sense. I don't get it with her. Like I I I, I you know, I've uh, I feel for her in terms of her divorce and stuff like that, and I'm sure that was very traumatic and I'm sure, you know, but it's like it's it's like when we later see her music video parties, like it's clear she has friends. Like I don't like I don't see like that connection to me. But that's that's one thing. Um so we go back to Miami for a little bit because Lisa's uh, has already left the trip to uh, be with her kids right. ahead of time. The rest of them are still in the Bahamas. But we go back to Miami and we see a meetup between Lisa and former uh, Miami housewife Leah Black, which was so exciting to see. Leah, I, I think Leah, I mean, is in a place where she there's not a lot of, of the OGs that would necessarily want her back on the show other than Lisa, um, which would make it for a harder dynamic. But it was good to see, see a scene with her. And it seems like Lisa and her still have a good friendship uh, since the Enough show. Enough that Lisa decided to lie to her and say that she hasn't aged. Oh, my. It was like, look, 
she has not aged the nine years since she's been on the show. She has not aged nearly that much. No. But girl does look different. But Leah always looked, you know, her she age. looks She looks good, but she didn't not age, girl. No. No, 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 no. But uh, they have this conversation, and I, and I think this advice from Leah was really good of just, like, Lisa's, like, because Lisa is also kind of, like, sort of, dealing with the emotions of just the marriage in general and sort of the relationship dying. And she details about like how Lenny uh, is basically like, this is my house at the end of the day, et cetera. And telling this, you know, being so putting his foot down in terms of the house. And Leah just goes, and who would want to be with this man at the end? Like he, Leah, I think is doing a good job of being like, this guy is an asshole at the end of the day. Right. The stuff that he is doing is beyond reproach in terms of a relationship. And, like, you need to, like, really, she was trying to build up her self-esteem in the, in that regard, which I think she deserves, you know, because clear, and I think even Leah said, like, the relationship was always sort of, like, he was above you, he was the one that had the power, he was the one that had the money, you know, and. And she put up with a lot over the years. Yeah. And so it's it's hard when you're in that sort of you know, unspoken contract that like you then have to be on your own and sort of be ind- independent. Like I get that. Um, and you know, I thought this was a really conducive conversation and, but then we get to later in the episode where things with Lisa get very, uh, uh, very much more t- uh, tumultuous in terms of that regard. Um, so, uh, they basically, uh, we're back in the Bahamas and they're celebrating Julia and Kiki's birthdays. They both have birthdays. But uh, in order to sort of prevent any drama from everything that happened at the island, they're splitting the tables up in two in order to, you know, because things got so contentious. Um, and Adriana is upset and regretful of what she said. And, like, is, like, the, where, where I said, like, telenovela crying, I was, like, in her confessional. And I believe, I believe that she was upset. And I believe, I'm not saying any of it was fake. But there was just something about the way in which she cries of, like, the like it's it's very um like mournful like like very like yeah i i also feel like the reason that she is crying and upset to this extent is because it's been a build-up for so long sure and she does she goes back in the confessional um i think this is when she does it she goes back and details all of the things that have been done to her by this group of women and why she feels like she's constantly been shat on, why she feels like they don't care about her. And when you feel like that, I can understand, like, girl just wants some sympathy. Just give her some sympathy. Dote on her a little bit. It'll be fine. She wants to feel loved by this group. And that is what she is craving because she has no one else close to her in her life that is giving her that attention. And it's just like, just find a bit of kindness, people. Like, she had a misstep on the way that she spoke. She still had a good point in that accidents can cause irreparable, horrible damage. And the fact that it's an accident does not negate the potential for harm. So give her some love. Like, yeah, and I think the problem is like 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 I said, you had Marisol and Larsa who are not gonna like 
work to sort of like bond things and diffuse things, so to speak. They're going to want to keep yeah, the sort of fissure. They're going to they're gonna stoke any spark of anger into a bonfire. Yeah. And I think that, and I mean, kind of prove Nicole's point of like, you know, the minute Marisol comes onto the trip, that's when shit goes awry. Um, but they ha- they're having these separate birthday parties and Gertie and Nicole are having to like go in between tables to like try to like, you know, do this. There was that funny moment where they brought out the cakes for both of them and they both, they, they sent out the cakes in the wrong direction. Cause one of them said 50 and the other said like, Kiki was so offended. <laughs> Kiki was like, do I look 50? <laughs> like it was, it was a, it was a fun moment. But, um, so we go back to Miami and Adriana is, well, uh, Gertie is also getting ready for a party that she's throwing for all the women. She's calling it a melting pot party about like, basically like, this is the party that's going to like bring everyone together at the end of the day, which good luck, girl. Is it fondue? <laughs> no, I I think she like Gertie will go on these like tangents of like, you know, descriptions of things where it's just like, OK, I missed like what you said 10 seconds ago to how you got to this point. Like and like it like she's surveying the, the scene for the party and stuff like that and get, and going over everything. And then they're getting ready for Adriana's music video release party. And um. Uh, the same half that essentially didn't go to that side of the table also isn't going to the party. They're over at uh, Marisol's house. And um, so they're talking and they, and they have this, the, they had a guy last season who had caviar that they were like uh, sampling mm-hmm. caviar from. And Alexia was like an expert in like determining the different caviars. And he like comes over again for this party and offers them. He's, he's like, go have a, like to take a caviar bump. Where they're like, eating the we, caviar like it's cocaine. Can we not compare? Like, there is enough of a stereotype of Miami and Coke. Like, we don't need to further and connect with Mary, them. And with Alexia's backstory with her ex-husband. Yeah, like, it's just, it's not, can we just not? She was a little, <laughs> she was a little too comfortable. Um, but they get to talking about. Cut to her later, like, trying to put the caviar in a line with a razor blade. Uh, yeah. She didn't actually do that, guys. But, but it, it would have been funny. I would have laughed. Yeah, they get into the Adriana stuff. And Marisol is all, because Marisol's also upset about the whole bringing up the Marisol's ex and, like, like about how he's tried to like get with Adriana or whatever that Adriana said. And then she, I think I feel like this is kind of a bombshell, but I wasn't sure on the specifics that she went to Bumble. Cause she said that they like, he had messaged her on Bumble, but apparently on Bumble, the woman has to initiate mm-hmm. the interaction. So they're basically like, Oh no, she initiated with him first. So therefore, you know, she was being a duplicitous friend or whatever. Um, they go to Adriana's party and she reveals her music video. This music video was like, who was this director? Where did yeah. she find him? Well, but according to um, according to Adriana, like they had to go back and like reshoot a bunch of stuff from the yacht. But that that wasn't the issue with the music. Like the music, it was poorly directed. Like at the end of the day, like it, it was it was like she spent like a couple hundred to edit it. Like. It was bad. Yeah, I could have done better with the software I have, and the software I have is free. Yeah, they, yeah, it was not the best. And they were like, "Oh, it's so it's like they had to act like it was the mo- it had, they had to act like it was Candace's video on Potomac." Yeah, it was it was not as good as Candace's. So we go to um, with Lisa, uh, who is taking her children to like this like arts and crafts like store place or whatever where kids get to paint and stuff like that, and she's with her mother in law who has sort of bonded with her over the whole Lenny stuff. And, like, you know, obviously a couple episodes ago, Lenny kicked her out of the house and, like, 
their whole dynamic was strange. Um, but she, from up until this episode, her mother-in-law has basically been on her side in terms of this whole divorce stuff. And so Lisa's confiding with her. And this felt so odd to me that the mother-in-law is now sticking up for Lenny and the way in which she stick, like those lines were fed to her. Yeah. It felt real icky. Like it there, it felt nefarious and it felt like. You in danger, girl. It, it felt like that. It like, felt I was like, like Lenny, what is going on here? It felt like Lenny didn't want to be on camera anymore. And so he's like, but I need somebody to advocate for myself. So I, there's a, not a narrative set. So I need my mother-in-law to do it. Like, it's like, it's, that ship has sailed, sir. She was saying details about like, oh, well, you were gone for that New York trip to where it's like the mother-in-law would not know those details. And the way in which he like, it was clearly shit that was fed to her. It. It it felt like that um, the scene in a, like a horror movie where it's the horror movie where the the husband is like trying to murder the wife or something. Yeah, and you find out that like her best friend is in on it and trying to like circle the wagons around her to keep her mm. in the fold. That's what it felt like. I felt like there should have been creepy music in the background. I felt like it it it, it felt wasn't right. real. Like I was like, get out. Get out of this. You cut off all communication with her. Yeah, it, it was it was not good. Um, and then we left get left on that cliffhanger uh, to go into the next episode. But really good episode of Miami overall. Um, excited to get uh, on the path towards the uh, eventual finale and reunion. Um, we're going to take a quick commercial break. But when we come back, we are talking the newest episode of Vanderpump Rules. Don't go anywhere. Well, hello, friends. I'm your pal in the mainstream media. And I'm the Riz. And, And you know, Riz, it takes years of strenuous, dedicated training before you're worthy to step inside a professional wrestling ring. But it takes even more time to develop complex, highly astute opinions about professional wrestling. Am I right? That is correct. And you know where we can find that? Yes. On the wrestling man. That's right. Sidekick Media Services. We are your sidekick in business for social media, video production, and more. Find out more at SidekickMediaServices.com. Welcome back to A Gay and His NB. Here we are in the end of the episode. We just have the one show left to talk about, and that is Vanderpump Rules. Yes, another great episode. Um, a lot more drama this episode, and things are really starting to shake up in terms of what we've been in, uh, anticipating for this season. Um, we start at Sir, and Lisa is uh, uh, there, and she kind of, she uh, goes up to Peter to ask him about the night before, and and Raquel kind of letting her down, and that his pride's been kind of hurt. Yeah. Uh, in terms of everything, we saw that he took like four more shots after the. Uh, event he looks slightly hungover but not nearly as bad as he has been in earlier seasons of the show so i think he's probably fine now yeah and so and then lisa and raquel start talking as raquel's starting her shift um she was late uh because she had to uh, tend to graham their dog who i guess got a puncture wound somehow and they had to take uh she had to take him to the vet uh to take care of him and that'll play into later in the episode um and so they're talking more about sort of the, like the Peter stuff. Um, I love how Lisa was like, yeah, you know, you really can't have this relationship 
um, because Lisa didn't know that they had ended it right. la- the night before. Um, and <laughs> Raquel's like, you you mean I can't make out with Peter in front of the guests? Yeah, it's, Raquel <laughs> is like the like Raquel like willing to like shade Lisa and like do like little like fun jokes. Like she's really come into her own in many ways. Like I I really it's really good to see. But all, she also is still very insecure and starts crying in front of Lisa. Well, I mean, I can understand why she's like this scary thing is happening with her dog and now she's having to deal with it alone and she doesn't really have anybody that she can lean on emotionally right now. Yeah. Because she's used to having James there. Not that he's a great emotional support, but it was something. That's why, I mean, she frames it in the sense that she's not over James, but I really don't think that's what it is. I think think she's just missing the good parts and she's not regretting because you can miss the good parts of a relationship and still be glad that it's over and not want it back yeah and i, I think that that's what's happening here um and it's funny because uh lisa unrolls a, a roll of silverware and they're both crying so they both take opposite corners yeah. of the of the napkin and they're dabbing at their eyes and then uh you know um raquel goes back to work and lisa goes oh wait raquel can you uh can you take this and replace this roll of silverware because you blubbered all over it? Yeah. <laughs> it's oh, like, Lisa. girl, you did just as much blubbering as she did. I know. It's uh, Lisa. Um, we go I to... I want her back. We go... Uh, Beverly Hills. Oh, yes. Just saying. And we, one can dream. Um, we go back to uh, Schwartz's apartment. Um, and his apartment is very short right now. Like it's, there's, I mean, we're not one to talk, you know, we've lived in Pittsburgh for about five months at this point, And we do still have some boxes that are not, um, that are not unpacked yet. Um, but we also have like three bedrooms and like, like several rooms in this house that we're like trying to figure out where things go and And all of that. He has literally like a bedroom and a roommate like yeah he has his roommate joe who he's not dating um they're just friends apparently um and then sheena comes over to record her podcast uh that she wanted to record with tom uh and to get into sort of the uh stuff with the divorce and stuff like that i we'll get into it later i th- you know and sort of the we kind of feel certain ways on both sides of this whole disagreement with katie and sheena but sheena is messy here Sheena is straight up messy with this. I think that she's doing things in a shady way, but that is just Sheena. I don't think that she is doing anything more or less shady than everything that Sheena does. Sure. And we'll get into also like, you know, who we should hold accountable necessarily for. But they talk about the rumor. There was a rumor that uh, Tom and Raquel had made out at Coachella and Tom wasn't even at Coachella and sort of like... She keeps throwing Raquel's name out a lot during the podcast. Like she includes her in a list on an F. Mary Kill, and um, Raquel's the person that Tom says that he would marry. Yeah, he basically, like, Sheena does basically everything except asking, will you fuck Raquel right now? Like, it's like, okay, Sheena. Um, and so James is at Sir with Allie, uh, just, I guess, getting lunch or whatever. And Lisa uh, comes up to her and asks about Graham, thinking that James knew about the whole stuff with Graham and the puncture ruin. And she didn't. And the reason that Raquel wanted sort of a cut off from James and felt that like she didn't have to necessarily disclose that, which in fairness, I agree with if it in the case in the fact that Graham 
was Raquel's before the relationship. Like, that's not James's dog necessarily. But he did have, like, they co-owned that dog for five years and raised it from almost a puppy together. Sure. She had it right before they got together. So it was only barely just hers. And then they, like, he has been in that dog's life for most of its life. Only a few months out of its life has he not been part of that dog's life. And this was also something that could have been life-threatening. Like, you took him to the ER. Like, you should have let him know. Sure. And and, and and James starts crying when he hears it. Like, Like, which... I get it. There's something about James crying about a like, particularly James crying about a dog. That's just really funny well, to me. And like, it really rubbed me the wrong way because while I understand being upset about the dog, he also in confessional says that he was more upset about the dog than like Raquel. He missed the dog more than he missed Raquel, and it's just like he goes out of his way to say hurtful things. Yeah, like I can understand. I I think the emotion over the dog is genuine, but I think that he is using it as an excuse. To attack Raquel. No, I agree completely. And we'll see it also later in the episode. Um, they're, work, uh, they're still working on opening up uh, Swartz and Sandy's full time after the success of the Daily Mail party. Um, but they're, like, they're still having to like staff and do all that stuff. There's a like, random couple that like, walks in thinking that they're open. And like, they just fully give them a tour of the place. Which I was like, that's, you know. That's weird. It's, but it's very Sandoval at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and then Katie, Lala, and Raquel go out for sort of like a girls' night sort of uh, get together. Lala is in this like full on bodysuit, which like what is it what is the trend lately of all these people wearing these like bodysuits? But suits? it's not just any bodysuit. Like three people on Housewives have worn this bodysuit. It's like it, it's the exact same bodysuit. It's like why is I, again, am I old and I've missed this trend and like it's like Wasn't I, this the same one that Mia and Ashley wore? Yeah. Oh my god. It's the same bodysuit. I think suit. it's the same one actually, yeah. And it, and Teresa recently wore like a similar one on on Watch What Happens. Live. Hers was, was much less good. Yeah. Let's be fair. And I saw Nini uh, like Nini Leaks was like out on the town uh, in like the same exact bodysuit as Teresa. Like it was like I don't know what the trend is, but like I don't get it. It needs to stop. And we find out that Lala is talking uh, through an app with Randall about Ocean and sort of the whole parenting dynamic mm-hmm. because things have gotten so toxic in that regard. Um, and then we kind of find out more about Sheena's pushing Raquel onto Schwartz in that Raquel brings it up in the conversation about the podcast that Sheena's mentioned it to her a couple times about mm-hmm. like wanting her and Schwartz to get together and Katie's getting real pissed about it. That I, I think Sheena is, you know, whether it seems as though Katie did say what Sheena claims that she said in Vegas, but even still, I think it's a little oversteppy on Sheena's part. But I can understand if you're if you have a group of friends and you think that two of them would be good together and they both just got out of relationships, wouldn't you put them like wouldn't you encourage them to get together or at least see if there's something there? Yeah. Like especially when they've had this like flirtatious friendship. Like, there's no there there uh, up to this point. There's no there there. But somebody on the outside looking in may not see that, may see the flirtatiousness and go, oh, well, there maybe is something here. There maybe could be some healing here for both of them. And like I said, I think she's still being shady, but I think that Sheena 
is always being shady. She orders her Starbucks shadily. Like, there's no way she's not being shady. Yeah. But um, but I don't think that she was being malicious about it. And then, so Raquel's bringing this up and sort of talks about, like, and she says it in a way of, like, like it, I would never, like, fully want to hook up with Schwartz in terms of, like, having sex with him or anything like that. And it gives Katie, like, pause of, like, like, as if, like, you would be fine, like, making out with him or whatever. And then Lala is, like, really offended by this. And it's just, like, hold on. Like, no, 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 no. This, you know, I would never condone any of that. And then casually Lala brings up after the fact that, yes, her and James did hook up in the early parts of Raquel's relationship. And Raquel's like, really, Lala? Like, like you just scolded me, like, like less than a minute ago about this. And now you're telling me that like you hooked up with James in the early parts of our relationship, but it's okay because she can blame it on being an alcoholic. That's there's that it was. <laughs> yeah. It's oh God. Like I love Lala, but that was, that was a shitty stance to take. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, we go to, uh, Tom Sandoval's, uh, band rehearsal for his group and, and James comes by to say hi. Uh, but James brings up a really good point, which is like, where the fuck is Sandoval getting this money? The fact that he's paying. No clue. Because he's paying, I've, he's paying his instrument, his band and, for rehearsals. And, and to rent out like a rehearsal space. And like, it's like, what are you doing, dude? You're opening a restaurant. Like, why are you like, like, I get like a creative outlet, but like not when it's like. Ex- like James expensive. calls it like a 14 piece orchestra. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, it's he, when James Kennedy is like, what are you doing? Like, let, let's look into that. Like, well, I mean, Sandoval has a history of being not smart with money. Like he literally gave James all of this money to do the proposal yeah. for Raquel and doesn't want any of it back. I, he's he has of, actively said, it's fine if you never pay me back. And he's not upset that he spent all of that money. And then they ended up not getting married it's out of the kindness of his heart at the end of the day it's like Like, bro what it like i wish i had fuck you money like that like give me money where i can just shower my friends with extra shit and spend all of this money on like a pet project that doesn't really mean anything and it's just for me to let loose and have fun give me that kind of like if like no like what are you doing yeah uh, we go to Katie and Lala who are having this double date, um, with the guy that Lala met at the hotel, uh, pool event that James was at, um, uh, Ty, I think was his name. Uh, and got uh, another guy that, uh, uh, they found for Katie to hook up with. This was like. Named Melrose? Yes. Mel. Weirdest names, by the way. Um, They're very Hollywood names. Yeah, and this was a very, like, I can't with straight people. I'm sorry. Like, these these conversations were so, like, Lala points out that, like, she mentions, like, two times during the conversation that she's sober, and he keeps asking if if she's going to drink. And then a third time at the end of the dinner. Like, it was like, oh, my God, really? And then they get into weird discussions about, like, Disney movies. I'm like, what are you, like... I think that was at the point where Lala realized, and she says it in the bathroom with Katie, which is just like she literally pulls Katie into the bathroom. And is like we got to have a talk. She's <laughs> like, I'm 30 and I have a kid. Like this is not, you know, like I'm not trying to find a daddy for Ocean right now. 
But like, I'm also not wasting time on this. <laughs> like, I'm but not. Also, but also, she said that, like, at the end of the day, she just wants to get railed. Is that what she said? <laughs> like, it was like, okay. oh, I missed that comment. Yeah, she's like, I mean, go at it. Yeah, yeah, but it's a little bit like the whole mentality is a little bit different when you got a kid. Yeah, like you got to you can't you gotta be a, structure things a little bit differently. You can't be a hoe for that long. The, the, the words to live by like i i am all for being a hoe and having a good hoe phase uh lord knows i had one but like at a certain point when you got responsibilities that your hoedom is going to conflict with maybe maybe it's time to tie a bow on that and put it on the shelf and be done with it yeah at least until your kid's older uh, so we go to Raquel and James at the park to kind of, they have sort of like a double, well, not really a double date, but like, uh, you know, to get to together with Graham, mm-hmm. like at the park sort of thing. And this is where Raquel, like, like Raquel, like gets into it with James about like specifically what Lala said about them hooking up and like Jane, this is classic James, like de- James, like deflecting it onto Peter is like, well, you're getting with Peter. It's like, that's not the fucking point, dude. Yeah. Like, I'm also single and. There, I should be able to fuck whoever I want to right now. Um, we're not talking about that. We're talking about you fucking the literal person that I had a problem with that I knew you guys were too close, and I kept denying it because you kept telling me yeah. that there was nothing there. You kept lying to me for years that there was nothing to worry about. And come to find out you fucked this bitch right after we got together. Well, and I also love him, like her just being like, it just feels like our relationship was like a, on a foundation of lies and him just being like, when did I lie to you with the Lala stuff? And he's like, oh yeah, that one time it's like, well, dude, come on, like get it together. It's like, oh, so a dishonesty is different than a lie. He tried to pull that one too. Yeah. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's a lie. You, you lied. It's just like, and just the, again, like the idea that James is the only one allowed to be happy. And, and like, then he also tried to say that it was Lala's fault. It was like, uh, no, I wasn't in a relationship with Lala. Yeah. If Randall wants to be upset about that, which he has no ground to stand on to be upset with Lala about anything ever in the rest of his time on this earth, because um, he's done enough to make up for it, um, then he can. But that has nothing to do with me being upset with you. I was not in a relationship with Lala. Lala did not screw me over. You did. Yeah. Yeah, that's at the end of the day. So they're getting ready to go to uh, Sandoval's set at the Canyon Club. Uh, and uh, Katie has just listened to the podcast, and she's really pissed about everything that Sheena said and, and the whole dynamic of everything. Uh, also, Sheena is pre-gaming at Schwartz's with Sheena, Brock, and Raquel. And then invites Raquel, yeah. And Ariana, we see Ariana say that, like, she found out that Sheena was pre-gaming at the, their place and asked if she could come as well. And, and Sheena was like, yeah, I think it's just going to be the four of us. Like, and Ariana's like, really? Like, you know that looks like a double date. Like, it's so obvious. That's where I'm like, Sheena, you are not sly here. Like, this. No, I think that that's exactly what she's doing, but I don't think she's trying to be shady. Again, I think she's just saying these two people would be good together because she still at this point does not know that Katie has a problem with this. Sure. I, well, yeah, I mean, she, she found out through Raquel from right, the, the that thing. hot girl walk or whatever the thing was that they yeah, were, whatever. 
It's that was it such was an a, excuse by the producers for them to go out and have a walk, basically. Um, and like, and Sheena brings up that like, you know, I don't see why she has a problem with it. Like, you know, she's uh got hooked up with that uh the guy her old high school boyfriend or whatever, and Shorts acts like surprised by it and like mm-hmm. whatever. And Shorts kept saying like, well, this is like a double standard. How is it a double standard, dude? Like she asked, like it would be a wh- double standard if, if uh, Raquel was just some person. Yeah, the point, like whether or not what she said in Vegas to Sheena, whatever. I also could think that that comment could be innocuous, and Sheena's making it bigger than it is. Like, but like at the, at the baseline, she get, she at seemingly gave you a understanding of like nobody in the friend group, and she's kept to that. Well, and what. If you notice in the confessionals, the way that Schwartz frames it is from now on. Yeah. No yeah. one in, I'm not allowed to date any of her friends. She's not allowed to date any of my friends is the way that it was put forward by Schwartz. Now, he probably got that 93% wrong because he doesn't listen, but, you know. Yeah. And so they get to the Canyon Club and they're getting ready for Tom's set. And like our Sheena walks up to the group and Katie immediately is just like fed up with her. And it's just like, I don't like, and obviously it's a very obvious to where they have immediately have to confront it. And Katie's and Sheena start yelling at each other. And Katie's like, but out of my life, you're a fucking troll. Like she, the, Katie rehearsed that line a little bit because she said it on Skype with Lala um, beforehand. But like, you know, and Katie kind of halfway like admits to the fact that she said it in Vegas. That yeah, but she was like, "But you told me in Vegas that you this had your blessing, that you were fine with this." But I think again, I want to know the context of how she said that. It doesn't I, really matter. Katie's, I think it's slightly. Katie does. at that point said, "So what if I said that?" At that point, it's like, "Okay, no, you're agreeing that you said that, and you're saying that that should have been disregarded." Like you're, you I think can't her, I have think, your entire breakup with Schwartz be because he wasn't listening to you, and then get mad at Sheena because she did listen to you, and you are mad that she. I think there's went a, with what you told her is fine. I think there's a difference between something naturally happening and someone pushing it and trying to force it to happen, and I think that's more sort of the egregiousness of it on her part in terms of she brings up the fact that like for example like if i would have like done that to shay when sheena got her her divorce from shay like she wouldn't be happy about it yeah but sheena also didn't specifically say i would be fine with shay getting with whoever well in fair and in fairness sheena had nothing to say as well in terms of that dynamic of relationship in my view in terms of who he could and couldn't do anything with but yeah that's besides the point but also i felt like i i will have to go back and look at it again and i should have before we got here to recording but i felt like at the girls night katie said something that kind of hinted that she would be okay with a serious relationship between tom and Raquel, but that a fuck. but that a a fling like they were just fucking or they were just making out or whatever that felt weird because if it would be one thing if there were emotions involved that mm. she'd be like I can't really deny if you guys fall in love fine but if you're just fucking around it feels like you're just trying to throw it in my face that could- I think is what is what she was saying and that 
I, I can get behind that. I can understand why it would feel like, why are you sleeping through all my friends? If it's, if it doesn't matter, why do you have to pick from a, from my friends? Why can't you go pick with all these other girls out here? You know, I, I can understand that. But if you like fall in love with someone, you can't really deny that. Like you can't do anything about it. You can't help it. Yeah. I get that. And, and so, and, but also I was cheering for Ariana in this moment because Ariana in her confessional brings up a point that I feel like it's so underrated, which is just like, why is Schwartz getting off scot-free in all of this? Like, I don't think Schwartz, has, Schwartz is to blame on any of this but, current thing. But why is... Other things, yes. And in the past, he completely gets off scot-free. I think her po- point is more like, why is Katie only angry at Sheena? Why would she be angry at Tom? Because Tom, I mean, Tom made the choice to do the podcast. And like, I, I think that's the thing. Like, and you brought up the fact that, and I was shocked by this, that Schwartz is 40. Oh yeah. He's 40 freaking years old, which is why this like dumb, like I'm so meek and I don't know what I'm doing. Stick. I, I think people aren't buying that shit anymore for the most part. And I think, you know, and Katie said on a recent Watch What Happens Live that it felt like Schwartz likes to act like a victim. And I feel like that's kind of true in certain ways. Yeah. Like, I, 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 I mean, even to the point where he was like, when they were like fighting at the bar, like he's like wincing from her. And I was like, that's giving off language like somebody that's used to getting hit. Yeah. And I and don't it's think like if that's not genuine then that's really fucked up that he would do that and imply that towards Katie. But like, like Schwartz would do that though. Like Schwartz would be like, Oh my God. Cause like, is he that, is he that, I hate to say this, but is he that smart? Is he that smart to manipulate to that level? Because that's some pretty, it's not a smart, it's not a smartness thing necessarily, but it's like in the terms of like, like when her and him and Katie would argue and just verbally argue like the, like, he would play up the like, oh my god, this is just too much. Like it's so much. Like like just stop. It's so loud. It's so like this. It's like to me, it's the same thing. Of like you're you're instead of actually engaging a person on a conversation level, you're like making it about something else to where it's yeah. Like, but you can't really engage someone on a conversation level when people are screaming. Sure, I I get it, but it's like he, like you're not gonna have a nuanced conversation when tensions are that high and volumes are that raised. Yeah, like I you do. have to you have to calm down and be able to use your rational mind. Well, that's what, but I don't think Schwartz can do that. Is my thing, and like no, I don't think so either. And I think that he like there was that whole thing last season with the they did like that cop prank or whatever, and Katie was upset about it and thought it was tone deaf or whatever. And instead of just being like, look, it's not that bad. Like look, like you know, I understand what you're saying. Whatever. He just immediately goes to like god you're so ugly when you complain oh why would everyone want to fuck you it's like like that's not a communicative like to be fair this is the same woman who then who spent quite a bit of time talking about how his dick doesn't work yeah i and mean like completely like she has made a habit of emasculating him at every turn so i get it yeah i no one's clean in this but yeah i just don't get i think schwartz to Ariana's point, plays that plays a card a lot of the time and doesn't really get treated as seriously as he might, like, you know, in terms of certain things. Um, and then James and Katie kind of bond over the whole Sheena, of, like, being anti-Sheena in terms of this, because it also affects James, because 
of the Raquel stuff. And so it's really it was really interesting to see James and and Katie kind of on the same side when they have had their issues in the past. Yeah, it was real. That was real weird. But and then like James starts confronting Sheena about it and how like she's you know thirsty and all this stuff. And, and Col- Sheena's like, "What? If, how did? What? <laughs> Why are you mad at me?" And calls her Miss Pumpkin Pie, which, which was a. St- the stupidest insult I have ever heard in my life. James has typically has some funny ones, but like it's yeah, you need to work on that. Even him explaining it in the confessional, it was like I'm coming up with something. I don't know. Yeah, that that felt real weak. But other than that, a, a really good episode of Vanderpump Rules. Uh, definitely a really must watch season this year, and and we definitely encourage everybody to go check that out. All right, so just as we are getting close to wrapping up, we want to get into our tops and bottoms of the week. Eamon, who are you thinking? So my bottom for this week, I'm actually sad. I, I love Miami lately, and, and Miami was still good this week. I'm going to give it to the to the trio of Alexia, Marisol, and Larza. While I was on Alexia's side in terms of the initial sort of stuff with the Frankie stuff, I th- I never like it when it becomes this like group mentality of like cutting anyone off. We've seen it a little bit with Potomac. Yeah. And with some other franchises, I think it doesn't flow the show in the way it needs to. It's kind of more on Marisol and, and Lars's part, I feel, of like, you know, kind of creating that fissure. And it's it's not beneficial for the dynamic of the show. So that's the one. I wish it was something where they could just rebound and then move on. Because uh, that's, I think, just lends to better television at the end of the day. So my bottom will go to them. My top will go to Candace on Potomac. I mean, just a stellar performance in that reunion. Like, I haven't seen a reunion performance like that in a while of just, like, everything being on point, everything, like, like directing the conversation the way it needed to go, hitting, hitting people where they needed to be hit, and just, like, you know, leaving flawlessly. I think Candace did a phenomenal job, and it was everything I wanted from the reunion. Completely agree. Um, in fact, I share uh, my top this week with you. Uh, Candace was amazing no crumbs you know <laughs> flawless um you know i just i'm looking forward to the rest of these reunion episodes so um so we can just see more of her um doing it flawlessly um my bottom for the week however is going to be whoever made the decision that they needed to cut jacks <laughs> off of uh drag race um i just I am not a fan of manipulating situations to get rid of a good lip syncer. When yeah. there are other, like it is one thing to do that when they are the worst person on the show and they keep skating by. Um, you know, I, I think that that kind of is what was happening with the Lala Perusa last season with Jasmine Kennedy. As much as I love her now, yeah, she was not performing to the same level. You can't say that about Jax. Jax was still doing well. I I mean, maybe not in the eyes of the judges. They kept shitting on her from day one. But when you still have Spice on the show to do something like this, it it just it feels dirty and it feels it it's gross. Like to me, you are throwing the competition to the side and heavy-handedly saying no this is what's happening on this show and you're just gonna have to fucking deal with it yeah and it 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 really felt gross like in the regular seasons of drag race i feel it should be the same way in all stars 
But in the regular seasons of Drag Race, the way that the rules are set, it should be the best stay, the worst one of the week goes home. Or at the very least, the worst two of the week are lip syncing in the very end. Nowhere near the worst two ended up in the bottom two this year or this week. Yeah. Like if we're talking about bottom two of the week, it should have been Spice v. Malaysia and one of them goes home. I mean, Spice should go home at the end of the day. There was no scenario where Spice should have stayed. Right. If we are comparing, like, if Malaysia had ended up on the other side of the bracket from right. Spice and things had gone equitably. That's where it would have been. It would have been those two and one of them gone home. And it's just, it should be fair. And this was not fair. This was a targeted attack, in my view. And the whole episode reeks of it, and it just, it soured um, my experience. Like, even my viewing of the other really outstanding lip syncs that happened on this episode, it the whole thing, to me, is tainted because it felt so directed. Yeah. Hey, thanks for joining us this week on A Gay and His Envy. Tune in next week for more of our recaps and hot takes. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you're listening and check us out on our social media at a gay and his envy on all the platforms. A special shout out to Shane Ivers who wrote Pulsar, the song we're using for our theme for my husband, Eamon. I'm Merlin and we're out. This show is a member of the Sorgatron Media Podcast Network. Find out more at sorgatronmedia.com.